0: Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedomain Radio. Oh, welcome to September. I hope you're doing well. It's the beginning of the month, so I am going to ask you for money. Please come to freedomainradio.com slash donate and prove to the world that voluntarism works and freedom works and helping out your brothers in arms and thought works. Uh, Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Sign up for a little subscription, pay value for value. Come on, you know, we're putting out some courageous stuff, some great stuff, some impeccably researched stuff, and some splutteringly expostulated stuff. And there's words you don't hear, often together outside of a 19th century Victorian novel. freedomainradio.com slash donate. Do the right thing. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful week. Let's move on to the callers, because this is your part of the show.
1: All right. Well, up first today, we have Rod and Erica. And they wrote in and said, We are a married couple with two girls, five and seven, and a boy, 18 months. Even though we grew up in the same town, we have different ideas about money, house chores, responsibility, etc. You name the subject, it's very likely that we will not agree. We moved to the U.S. because of my work, this was Rod who wrote this, and have no extended family nearby. Needless to say that we are always tired and stressed by everyday things. We argue a lot in front of the kids and have been aggressive to each other a number of times, also while the kids have been present. We have been in and out of couples therapy with many different counselors, making no significant improvements. Each one of us is trying to win the argument rather than do what's best for the family. Our arguments are mostly about money, taking responsibility for our actions and house chores. She complains that I do not include her in decisions about money, although most of the things we buy are for the kids, which I do not necessarily agree whether they are a need or a want. On the other hand, I feel increasingly frustrated that I do a lot of the house chores and all the yard work while I am the only provider for the house. I realize now that we probably should have detected and fixed our issues before getting married, and we simply chose to ignore all the red flags. Is there any chance to fix this marriage, or are we simply too cowardly to let go and face the consequences of divorce? That's from Rod and Erica. Now, but Rod's the only one on the line, right? Actually, we have Erica too. There's a slight language barrier, but um, we're going to try and make it work.
0: Well, hello, guys. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for calling in. And I really appreciate it. It's a very brave uh, a message, a very brave email. And I, I, uh, I respect you very much for uh, taking a swing at this. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, thank you, Stefan. Uh, so, well, yeah, so as I was writing, um, so the issues are, you know, that the, the girls, uh, the, the kids have, uh, you know, witnessed, witnessed, um, us fighting and arguing. And, um, it's, uh, very stressful sometimes. Uh, we feel like the, you know, they're mimicking the same behaviors like uh, they are starting to yell at each other and uh, and pretty much we would like to you know don't really know you know because we we started going to therapy couple therapy but it's the same thing like uh uh you know what is the main issue and what you know basically what do you guys what do you basically just making agreements like Okay, you help with the dishes. You do this. You do that. But it's never the actual bottom of the issue. Is that we don't agree about the subjects or the topics that we we discuss. We if there's a money issue, we end up discussing, you know, issues from the past, going back to the past, and not really focusing on the problem. That it's, you know, what it needs to be spent, and this so goes on and on and on for months, and we never get resolution on anything. Right. So I don't know. And but the other issue, I guess, is that, um, uh, so we don't have an extended family. So it's, it's kind of, uh, for example, for making this call, we had to rush, get the people to find somebody that can watch over for them for a couple of hours. It's very expensive. It's, and we are always like worried that what's going to happen to them. And, uh, right. we you really can enjoy anything and, uh, you know, having family over has proven to be complicated when they've been here. So, um, and this is both on both sides, basically. So, I don't know. I want to get. I want to know your opinion about. You know, first uh, maybe we, we you can stop uh, and explain. You know how how this. Uh, I heard I've heard your your podcast before, and uh, how basically how how bad. Kids witnessing uh, arguments and, and, and fights with their parents is actually very bad for them.
0: Well, it, it's fine, I think, for kids to witness. In fact, it's important for children to witness disagreements. Uh, it's fine to watch for kids to see parents being upset with or even angry with each other. They just, you know, they can't hear yelling, abuse, you know, and they, they need to see how adults resolve differences. And uh, if, if they're not getting that last part, then, like if they're just seeing you guys nag at each other without resolution, that's not going to be too positive for them, right
2: And how do you i mean what what's I mean what's your um guess suggestion in regards of uh, talking about our issues, the issues that we have and it's actually a couple therapy the way to go, because I, I think that sometimes we I don't really, I, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm being hurt, you know it's always right. like it's so tough being a mom and stuff like that. And I really don't necessarily agree with all that because I think I... Sorry, you don't agree with... Health.
0: Sorry, that you said something about... Um, I, I just couldn't quite hear. You said something about being a mom. You don't quite agree with that. And what was that?
2: Right. Then that, uh, they say that it's, it's so tough being a mom, right? And it's so difficult to be in a new country and trying to learn the culture. And so it's always like, I, I have to be the one that um, has to understand the, her side of the of things, and I really feel like I'm not really getting hurt or getting anything from from the from the sessions, therapy sessions.
0: Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand. So when when it was Erica, right? When Erica says that it's really hard being a mom in a new country without family and so on... Do you feel that it's not that hard, and she's exaggerating?
2: Sometimes I do, yes.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I've been a stay-at-home dad with one kid and um, uh, you know, a very supportive wife, and it can be it can be tough. So I got to imagine with three plus, you know, a, a conflict kind of marriage, I can certainly see it being tough. That, that may not be an exaggeration. But usually, when we don't feel heard, we want to diminish what other people are saying. In other words, I'll listen to your complaints if you listen to my complaints. But if, if you don't listen to my complaints, I'm not going to listen to your complaints. Does that happen at all?
2: Yeah, that pretty much happens uh, every time. Like, she would start discussing a topic, and I would change, and then sometimes it's the opposite. Like, I would say, you know, we're spending too much money or we are not, um, uh, you know, we, we, we need to pay for this. And oh, but you know, but I, but the girls really want that birthday party, for example, something like that. So it's always like going back and forth. You, you don't basically not listening to each other. And uh, it's not that I think I, that she exaggerates, but I think that because. Of my uh, upbringing basically that uh, I tend to try to please her and in, in ways that maybe they're not really you know what she wants but on the other hand there's stuff that I want that I don't get either so you know those kind of things like you nobody's you're not really doing anything on the marriage we we don't it, there are very rare, rare occasions where we are, you know, nice to each other and, you know, loving to each other. Are very rare, and I like to change that. I like basically because I want my my kids to grow up in a healthy relationship and
0: identify. Okay, so so hang on, so so you can choose to be more affectionate, right? I mean, you can't will love. You know, you can't sort of squeeze it out of your heart, but you can choose to listen more, you can choose to sympathize more, you can choose to be more affectionate, and you can also choose to not have fights in front of the children, right? These, Like if someone paid you a million dollars, right? Somebody pays you a million dollars to get through the day without fighting with your wife. Could you achieve that? I
2: probably, could, I probably will, have, will, will try harder, I guess.
0: No, no, but you could It's like, if I said, here's a million dollars if you can get through the day without fighting with your wife could you do that? I probably could. Okay. Well, I, I would hope you could. Because if, if you can't even do it for a million dollars, then you can't do it at all. Right. 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 I um, mean, okay. So, so you, you so have, if you, if you hang on, if you have enough of an incentive, then you cannot have these conflicts with your wife. If you have enough of an incentive, right? Right, That's And I don't, I don't mean that your wife becomes perfect, and I don't mean that, that she's not going to have problems with you. I don't even mean that you're not going to have problems with her. But just in terms of the stuff like fighting in front of the children and, and all of that, uh, you could achieve that. And you don't need your wife's participation to achieve that. Because if somebody wants to fight with you, you don't have to fight back, right? So if, if you have enough of an incentive... Then you can change your behavior for the better, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But okay. So why is your family not worth a million dollars to you? <sighs> mm-hmm.
2: I guess because I'm also always stressed and not really feeling like I, I'm, I feel like an ATM basically.
0: Okay, now, no, hang on, hang on. Okay, first of all, being stressed does not mean that you fight with your wife. Being stressed means, can mean, that you go to your wife for comfort, for, for to feel better, right? Right. Like, say, saying, I'm stressed, therefore I fight with my wife is like saying, I'm sick, therefore I avoid doctors. No, you... You should go to the doctor when you're sick, and if you have a good and loving relationship with your wife, then when you're stressed, you should go and spend time with her and feel better, right? So, the the problem is not the stress, and I'm not saying that stress isn't a problem, but it's not causal. It doesn't make you fight with your wife. It it exposes problems in the relationship, but it's not creating those problems. So, that's number one. Number two, you feel like an ATM, right? Right. And... um, you have a stay-at-home wife with three children. Right. So that's like having a job in a car dealership and complaining that people want want to buy cars all the time. I'm sorry, man. That's the job. If you are the working dad and you have a stay-at-home wife with three children, you, ha- you are a flow-through device from your employer to your family. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't fix spending issues and so on. But um, the problem is that isn't, I think, that you feel like you just are only providing money. It's that you don't feel valued in other ways. But the fact that, that a, a working dad is an ATM, well, yeah, a working dad provides money for the family. I mean, if, if your wife said, I just feel like all I do is take care of children, well, yeah, she's a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> that's, right. That's, that's the gig. That's what you do, right? Right. So, so those those two job descriptions make sense to me. But my question is, do you feel valued for your contributions to the family? Not, not in other words, all. does your wife enjoy not living under a bridge and putting her children to bed in shoe boxes?
2: N- not at all, and it's, that's also another kind of argument that we have that uh, she would say that, well, this is not what I want, or I. Basically, not comfortable
0: here, and it's all the wait. Stuff that sorry, I, wait. Hang on, hang on. What is not what she wants?
2: Uh, like uh, being in the in the U.S., for example. Right. Um. So, uh, that's one of the one of the things. Uh,
0: okay, but hang on, hang on, hang on. You decided as a family to come to the U.S. for your work, right? Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Wait. Did she? I mean, I assume you didn't bring her across the border in a sack, right?
2: Well, no, I mean, no, I mean, it's basically where I could find work, so.
0: Right. So she chose to marry you. She chose to have three children with you. Um, I'm sorry, Erica, I guess you can hear this. I don't mean to talk about you like you're on the moon, right? But Erica, you chose to get married to this man. You chose to have three children with him, and you chose to move to America. And I'm not saying that's easy. I mean, of course, there are some difficult things about that. But complaining about the the predictable results of your decisions is kind of pointless. Like That's why I was saying to your husband that complaining about being an ATM for the family when you're a working dad is sort of pointless. It's like me getting a job as a singer and then complaining about singing. I guess I'd be meatloaf then. (laughs) But um, if you choose to come to America because that's where your husband gets his work, then complaining about being in America, which is the result of your decisions, is, doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it may not be ideal, but so what? Nothing in this world is ideal. I, I'd like a world without governments. <laughs> I'm not expected to wake up tomorrow and find that to be the case. Uh, I'd like to uh, be as uh, <laughs> flexible as I was when I was 20. <laughs> well, that's, you know... I'm going to be 49 this month, so that's not about to happen. I'd like more people to listen to this show, even though we've got lots of growth, but, you know, it takes time. So there's nothing in this world that's ideal, and and we all have to make compromises, and we all end up having to get some of what we want and some of what we don't want, particularly, of course, if we're married. So there's a great quote from Nietzsche, which I like. He says, uh, never leave your actions in the lurch. In other words, don't make a decision... And then just pretend that the decision was done to you, right? Don't say, I want to be a nurse, and then say to yourself, I can't believe I ended up as a nurse, right? I mean, that's the choice. You can change your mind, of course. But um, you chose to come to America, and of course, as I'm sure you're aware, there are literally billions of people around the world who would be willing to risk their life and limb to get into America. I mean, it's not like you guys ended up in... I don't know Botswana or Syria or something. Uh, you did end up in America, which is the envy of most of the world. Like seventy percent of the um, UN refugees end up settling in America because that's where they want to go. So you have—it's not like you're stuck in Ireland in the Dark Ages or something. But uh, so as f- I, I'm not sure, I see a lot of of real complaints here. I'll just be be honest with you because if you have unrealistic expectations then you're going to end up, I call it chafing against your life, which means like a shafe is when you've got something rubbing against your skin. Like if you've ever done, you've done a long walk when you've had like flip-flops on and no shoes and, or, or sandals and no shoes and that the strap rubs up against your heel and you end up with these blisters, that's like chafing, right? And so right now, I see that you guys chose to date, chose to get engaged, chose to get married. Chose to have three children, chose to come to the United States, and you chose to be the working dad. And so I'm not sure what there is to complain about decisions that you have made. You may want to change those decisions, that's fine, but I don't understand. Maybe, and I, you know, I'm perfectly happy to be enlightened about what I'm missing, but I don't quite understand how you get to complain about choices that you've made. It's
2: probably not complaining. It's like uh, you 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 mentioned that if if had a, if I had a million bucks for getting through a day without fighting, yeah, you know, I would do it. That's precisely what I think that that we feel like, or at least I feel that there's no incentive to really go through the day other than for the kids, and and uh, I, I, I there should be incentive enough. But sometimes, sometimes it is. Oh,
0: no, no, no. God, no. Kids aren't incentive enough. Good heavens. I mean, if, if kids were incentive enough, then wolves would be the most fulfilled beings in the known universe. Uh, you, you, you can't just be a parent and expect that your life is good. You, you need to have love with each other. Uh, you need to be doing some good in the world. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with parenting and all stuff. So I don't, you know, the, the problem is the relationship between you two, right? Right. I mean, if that relationship was working well, then everything else would fall into place. Because you've got kids that were supposed to be the product of love, but you're not in love with each other at the moment.
2: Okay, so how do we get there
0: then? Like, how do you fall in love? Well, were you ever in love?
2: I think we were uh, at the beginning. Uh, some, that somehow it has eroded, you know, with all these frictions. You think you were? Well, we were. We were. we're we, I mean, we've we, we been together for a really long time. Okay,
0: so, so here, first of all, you've got to just talk for yourself. You can't right. talk for her. I'll, talk, I'll ask Erica in a sec, right? Okay. But if you speak for both of you, I can guarantee you that Erica's going to get annoyed. Because <laughs> you're having conflicts, and yes. if you speak for the other person when you're having conflicts, that's going to annoy them. Uh, Erica, am I wrong about that? You'd rather me ask you directly rather than have Rod speak for you? I'm not sure if she has a mic or not. Well tell me if she's y- not.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that's so she she was
0: um
2: we're trying to um you know, get the uh, translation here. <laughs>
0: so you, Oh okay, don't worry about it. Just we'll, we'll yeah, she so can listen to it later.
2: She would prefer for you know for questions to be right, right, read to her, but okay, so
0: if, if Okay, if you, I will. I will I'll get to her, right? I'll okay. get to her. Um, but um so are you saying that you did once love Erica? Right. And for how long would you say that you felt strong love for Erica?
2: Mm, I, I don't know. I would say, you know, before we were married, you know, things changed after we got married. Like we, all, we had a, uh, the, our first girl was born really, uh, you know, very early in their
0: marriage. And Sorry, how long were you guys together before you got married? Oh, like eight years. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. (laughs) You guys were together for eight years before you got married. We didn't
2: live together. So we were together, uh, you
0: know. No, I don't care whether you lived together. You dated, you were a couple for eight years before you got married. And you never saw fit to figure out whether you had the same philosophies of money or child raising or stuff like that. Yeah yeah that's in what the, were you talking about? Was there stuff really good stuff on TV that over eight years you just never got around to having these conversations about basic values and compatibility?
2: Well, so one of the things that happened is that I always had to work uh, you know in
0: in different cities where, where, where we grew up So oh, that's we were... right. And of course, eight years ago there weren't any phones. Yes, <laughs> I, it's all clear to me now. Come on, don't give me this nonsense. Over yeah, eight really years, I don't, saw... I don't care if you went on the moon, you have time to have those no, conversations.
2: That, that, that's probably so. We we figure out, you know, we had different ideas and things really late. I agree. You didn't
0: we... figure out. No, you avoided asking those questions. I mean, you had to know they were important questions, right? There, there's There's no one alive who doesn't think that you need compatible values for a happy relationship, right? There's no one who says, boy, you know, I am a Mormon. The best person for me to get with is an atheist, <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's nobody who's – some compatibility in values is important. And you guys avoided – I'm not trying to blame you. I'm just – you need to accept the, the facts, right? Because where you are is the result of earlier choices, right? So you avoided for eight years having conversations about fundamental values and you did that because you suspected that the fundamental values were not the same. And now you have three kids and you're staring at each other and you're facing the consequences. And I'm trying to empower you here, right? Which is that where you have ended up is the result of, of choices. And, and that's good news because it means that if you change those choices, you can change where you are. But first of all, you have to accept that you didn't end up here. And what you've provided me so far is a lot of avoidance and excuses. Why didn't you have these conversations? Oh, I worked in different cities and stuff. No, come on. Come on, man. Eight years. Eight years. You could have had sex three times less and had these conversations at some point in those eight years. And if you choose to have the sex or go to dinner or talk about something else, that's fine. But you have to own that both of you did not have these conversations about values, about money, about child raising, about chores, about accepting responsibility for your actions, and you also spend eight years together, before you got married and had children, you spent eight years not figuring out how to resolve disputes. So now you've got a lot of catching up to do. But that's entirely the result of avoiding challenging conversations while you were dating so that you don't feel like victims. You don't feel like, well, just bad stuff is happening to us. Or you don't feel the frustration. This is all the predictable result of particular choices that you made for eight years before your first child was born. And if you can accept that, then you can accept that you both got into a bit of a mess by choice, with benefits, Which means that once you accept that you both got into this mess by avoiding important conversations, then you will feel less frustrated at each other. Because when we own our own lives completely, everything is our choice that we have control over. I don't mean how other people react to us or whatever. But everything that we have in our life, we choose. Every we have in our life, we choose to be with them. Every conversation we avoid is a choice. Every conversation we pursue is a choice. So where you guys are is the completely predictable result of avoiding important conversations. And that means when you really get that, you stop blaming other people for your life. Because you're blaming her and she's blaming you as if you both just happened to each other or there's some weird mystery. You had an initial attraction based on obviously some compatible values, some sexual attraction, some chemistry, and you didn't build your house on rock because you started getting married and having children without figuring out where your values overlapped, how you were going to negotiate differences in values, how you were going to resolve disputes. You just started pumping out the kids without doing all the groundwork. And again, that doesn't mean that your relationship can't work, in my opinion. doesn't mean you can't have a happy marriage. But you're blaming each other for choices that you both made mutually. It's like you both linked your arms and you said, we're going to spend eight years walking north. And then you turn around and you say, Damn, we're really north. It's your fault. <laughs> no, it's both of your fault. Does that make sense?
2: No, It, it does. And uh, so <laughs> I guess we try this therapy, you know, and uh, and we, before even before we get kids, you know, we, we, before we get married, we went to a couple, see a couple of people trying to figure this out. But I mean, that's, that's, I guess, I, we, we understand, I
0: understand. Then. Okay, good. So then, if you were going to couples counseling and it didn't work, then tell me, for the love of all that's holy, why did you get married and have kids if even before you had kids you were going to marriage counselors and it wasn't working? I'm not saying you shouldn't have kids. Please help me understand. I'm I'm sure they're very happy to be around, and I'm sure you love being a dad in a lot of ways, but help me understand the thinking that says, "Well, we're not getting along to the point where we're going to marriage counseling. The marriage counseling isn't working. Let's have three children." Who wanted the kids more? So
2: it. That's, I guess, the part where you say that if you were in love, that's probably the part when we were in love, when I was in love. But, you know, no, events. you said. That, we, we, hang on, we, hang on,
0: hang on, hang on. You said that you went to marriage counselors, you went to relationship counselors before you got married, mm-hmm. right? And it didn't work. You were still having these conflicts.
2: We, we 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 thought that it was you know it would take time for for us to you know agree on the values that we wanted to share, and we we do actually share a couple of them. It's just that the way we the way we attack them. It's not very productive,
0: and we end end up. Okay, you're not. I don't know what you're filibustering me with something or other here. I don't know what you're saying, but my point is that you say that you're in love, but this is when you went to relationship therapy, and it didn't work. So you were having enough conflict to go to see a therapist, and it wasn't working. So that has to be a problem with love.
2: No, again, I agree. Um, Okay, good. So at some
0: point, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, we want to stop this complaining, right? So okay, good. Why, so then let's let's try and make this conversation more efficient. So then before you got married, you were already falling out of love. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Was that true for Erica? You can translate or do what you need. I just want to know where give she's give coming Give me one from. second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we hear the sound of a fry pan, we'll know what uh, her answer is. Uh, so, well,
2: I mean, she, I, I, I try, she says that no.
3: In her, in her case, no.
2: Okay, so
0: she was in love with you before you got married, but you were falling out of love with her. Is that right?
2: I, I would, I would say so. Yes.
0: Okay, and so, so she was still in love with you. Now, why did you have children so quickly after being married? Was there one or both of you who wanted that more?
2: We both wanted. It. We, right. We, we, and we both wanted kids.
0: Okay, and why did you want to have children?
2: Um, I, in, actually, it's a good question. I mean, it's, I guess, it's, it, in my case, uh, I, I wanted a family. I wanted, you know, uh, having, uh, basically, passing on what you know. Having that opportunity to, to to be, you know, create something or not create, but I don't know how to say it.
0: to leave something behind. Something. Okay. Now, did you decide when you were going to have children that you were going to be the provider and your wife was going to stay home with the children?
2: Yes. I mean, yeah.
0: Okay, and she was she agreed with that.
2: Well, no. I, I, can, you, can, can I? Can you give me a second yes to, so she can answer for her? Oh,
0: sure. Okay.
2: Pues quiero, quiero en
3: el,
2: para a mis hijos. So yeah, the she says that yeah she was she 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 she, she, she knew that she was gonna stay at home, mom, but it was before moving here. So. All
0: right. So so you knew that you were gonna be paying all the bills, right?
2: Yes, I knew. Yeah.
0: OK, great. And uh, she knew that as the person who pays the bills, you might have a little bit more to say about how the money is spent, right?
2: Well, no, that's, that's not. That, I don't think that she, she agrees with that statement. That's another argument.
0: OK, let me, let me ask you this with regards to Erica. When it comes to decorating your home, who has more to say about it? Oh, you shouldn't need to ask her that. You should know that. Okay. Well, right? When it comes to decorating your home, who makes more of the decisions and guess, chooses more no, stuff?
2: Both, both.
0: Oh, you both do? That's unusual. That's unusual. In my experience, and this is obviously different for you guys, but in my experience, it's the woman who cares more about how the home is, is well, well, decorated. She's she the one it.
2: that decides you know, where stuff get stored, where, you know, what to put stuff and, you know, how to, not decorate it, but how to arrange
0: it. Okay, so so because she's in charge of the house, she has more say over how the house is organized and run, right? And as okay. the person yeah. who earns the money, you have more say over how the money is spent. That's the deal, right? Women get control, we stay-at-home moms get control over the house, and working dads get control over the finances now that doesn't mean of course it's total control but it's not 50-50 it may be 60-40 or 70-30 or whatever but that's the way it works now if she has trouble understanding why you want control over the finances when you're the one making all the money then you can just ask her (laughs) not right now but at some point you can ask her and say well you're at home with the kids how would you like it if I organized the house for you And told you like he's like no this is the house I'm in I mean I'm in the house all day with the kids I need to organize how it goes it's like okay right because that's your domain and my domain is the money and so I have to have a little more say over how the money is spent right does that make sense
2: well it it does but we that's one of the arguments that we have she I she she feels like I don't. If if I say no to something, I mean she can't really say anything about money, for example. If she wants to decorate the house or put something buy something new, she has to go through me for that. And I right. I guess that's what you're saying that if I make the money, I should be the one making at least a bigger weight in the decisions.
0: Well, I mean it's the question of final say. Now, of course, whatever you guys agree on. That's great, right? But it's the question of final say. So where you can't find a way to agree, someone has to have the final say in any relationship. Right? So in every relationship, if if you can't find a way to agree, someone has to have the final say. Now, for societies, tragically, that tends to be government. For superstitious societies, that tends to be a god. Somebody has to have the final say. Now Erica has the final say about how the household is kind of run and managed inside the four walls, right? hmm Right, so you say, well, I think it should go this way. Maybe you go back and forth. But eventually, it's just her decision, right? Yes. Okay. And so, in the same way, if there's conflict about finances, then you can try to negotiate and so on. But who, and it doesn't matter whether it's a man or woman, but my suggestion is whoever's earning the money that is the person who has the final say in the same way that the woman who's home, she has the final say about how the home is organized. That's her domain. But your domain is the money. So you have to have the final say. And of course, you know, I mean, maybe that makes her feel like a child. Maybe that makes her feel like you're the boss and so on. So what? So you're the boss about the money. She's the boss about the home. It's not the end of the world that you guys both have areas where your boss is, right?
2: Right. Um Again, that's one
0: of the disagreements, uh, I guess. No, no, but I'm, I'm giving you a, a way of solving disagreements, right? Okay. So yeah. you try to negotiate, but if you can't successfully negotiate, someone has the final say and the other person has to smile and put up with it. And that's the only, I mean, you can't just keep fighting. I mean, you can keep fighting about the same stuff, but that's no fun, Right. Like let me let me give you let me give you another example, right? Let me give you another just because I know this is tough for people to understand because we're raised in this, well, basically men knuckle under kind of society, but here's here's another example for you. So let's say that you want to have sex, and your wife doesn't want to have sex. Who has the final say over whether she has sex with you or not? I'll give you a hint. It's not you. <laughs> right? So I mean, you, you, can, you can try and kissing her. You can do your sexy little dance. You can put on your German tourist sunburnt thong outfit or whatever. You can put on your chicken suit if that's what gets her going. So you can try to, quote, negotiate to have sex with your wife. But if she doesn't want to have sex, she is the final arbiter over whether she has sex or not. And if you don't want to have sex, you're the final arbiter over whether you have sex or not. You can negotiate, but someone is the final arbiter. You know, like if you're negotiating for a raise at work, you can negotiate and negotiate, but your boss eventually is the one who has to make that final decision and you can live with it or you can't live with it or whatever. But someone has to, where you can't find a win-win, someone has to be the final arbiter in a relationship. Otherwise, these fights just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on until people want to blow their own brains out, right? And so, I think your wife would certainly agree with me. You don't have to translate <laughs> this to her. But, I, I, you know, everyone would agree. Yeah, you can try and get someone to have sex with you, but it's their choice. whether they have, They're the final arbiter. that They're the final decider. Now, when it comes to finances, you're making the money, so you're responsible for the finances. And, and so, so, you can negotiate with your wife. But you're the final arbiter about that. And there's other areas where she'll be the final arbiter. Maybe it's got to do with um, the kids and what they eat or whatever it is, right? Someone has to be the final arbiter and the other person has to shut up and smile and accept that because otherwise these fights just go on and on and on and on and on. Which is kind of where you guys are at, right? Yes.
2: So I guess the money is one of the examples, right? Like she wanted to buy something... Like a dress or something, and I would say no, and that would you know, make her feel upset. And you know, may, she's she would feel like she's like uh, you know like a like a kid, like another kid.
0: And I I don't really wait wait. She's like a what? She's like a kid. Oh, like another kid. Yeah, like your kids so, want something, you say no, and they get upset.
2: Yeah. So and that's one of the issues. So again, if we can go back to you know how can we actually. Have civil conversations about these topics. No, no, I've just been telling you.
0: I've just been telling you. Okay, so, so you let's have say to... that she. Hang on. Let's say that she wants a dress, right? Now, assuming that she's not currently wearing like a potato sack, a new dress is a nice to have, not a have to have, right? And depending on what your finances are like, it may not be a good time, right? In other words, men, uh, and this doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter if it's a man or woman, but in this case, it's a man, and it's the majority of the cases in these situations. Men are pretty good at instinctually knowing how far the resources can go, how far the money can go, when you should spend and when you should save. So she wants a new dress, and she can come to you and say, I'd like a new dress. And you can negotiate about that. Okay, well, if you want a new dress that costs $200, where can we save $200, right? Maybe we cannot give each other birthday presents this year. In which case, we've just saved $200 and go and enjoy your dress, right? I mean, you can negotiate to try and find a way, if she wants to go and spend $200, to try and find a way to save $200. And if you can save $200, I'm sure you'll be fine with her buying a dress. But if, she can't, if you can't find a way to save $200, and you don't feel comfortable spending the $200, then she comes and says, I'd like a new dress. And you say, well, you know, can we find a way to save that money? You say, well, you can't. I'm sorry, we can't afford it. I'd, or you can say, because we can't afford it. You can always afford just about anything. You credit and visa and all those other kind of noose tightening balls and vice kind of stuff. But you can say, I'm not comfortable spending that money, right? I'm not comfortable. Because isn't that the reality when it comes to spending that you are not comfortable with her buying the dress. It's not like you don't want her to be happy or don't want her to have a dress. You're just not comfortable with it, right? It, it makes you uneasy. It makes you feel like, ooh, a, a bit too much money is being spent, right?
3: Hello?
2: Yeah, yeah we're here. So, Stefan, she, she wanted to maybe replace that, what I just said, but, you know... Sure. Okay.
3: Yeah, uh, my... Okay, sorry for my English, but... No problem. The problem is the Rodrigo uh, decided how, when, who, um, pay the, the dress. Uh, uh, this is my problem because I like it. The, okay, I go to the store, I buy this dress, uh, because it's my decision, but my husband, Tell me, okay, no, no, I like a, this, you buy this.
0: But he's I telling know, you the dress, hang on, hang on. He, is is he telling you the dress that you can buy?
3: Yes. This is me, my problem.
0: And yes. it's is it because it's cheaper, the dress that he wants you to buy?
3: Uh, no, because it's for uh, he like it or not like it.
0: All right, so... Um, if uh, I can get back to you, Rod. So, uh, Rod, you tell Erica the dress that she can buy based upon what you want to see her wearing.
2: Um, Is that what no, she said I, I mean, I, I thought it was like she would say, you know, which one you like. I, I, it, that's what I thought it was. Um, but it's because what totally
0: she seemed, hang on, what she seemed to be saying was that you would tell her, no, you can't buy this dress. You have to buy this other dress because I like this other dress more. And it's not about money. It's just what you like to see. Is that, is that what she was saying?
2: Okay. I mean, that makes sense.
0: for. No, that. no. Is that what she was saying? Yes. It's
3: for the one example. but it's exa- No, no.
0: That's, that's all the example I need. Okay. Rod, <laughs> you cannot be telling your wife what dress to put on. You cannot be telling your wife what dress she can buy. You can tell her what you like. But if you've, if you've got no problem with the purchase, you cannot tell her what dress to buy. I mean, if you have to buy a new car, and there's a car that you love and a car that you hate, and your wife tells you that you have to buy the car you hate, and they're both the same price, what would you say?
2: Well, no, but it's, at least to me, it's a bad example. Another example that probably is. No, 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 hang on, hang
0: on. Right. Erica just gave an example, which okay. you confirmed. You can't say it's a bad example because it doesn't make you look good. <laughs> That's no, not fair. No, it's not that. I mean, it's... No, no, you can't dismiss it as a bad example. That is the example that was important to her. Okay. So you can't just say, well, it's a bad example. It's important to her.
2: Okay. In that case, can I talk about... I understand what you're saying. I cannot tell what she would wear. And, I, you know, I, I didn't see it that way. I always thought that, you know, we were shopping, you know, she wanted my opinion. That's what I thought. Okay. But then. Oh,
0: well, no, she doesn't experience it as your opinion. Right. And right. I'm sure she's not just making that up. So you are probably telling her what she can and can't buy to wear. Okay.
2: Can
0: I and that's I? that's not your job it's you you mean if you if you're making the money you can say well i I don't like this purchase or I do like this purchase, but you can't tell her what dress she can buy that's that's not reasonable yes okay and, if, and you you can get her into the dress you want, but I'd rather have a happy wife in a dress I don't like as much than an unhappy wife. In a dress, I like it a little more. <laughs> you know, I don't right. go to bed with the dress. I go to bed with the wife. So, I, uh, I, I, I don't see how that priority makes sense.
2: And I totally understand that, in, you know, with, with, that, with that example. But if we talk about, you know, whether the kids should go to a class that we cannot afford, we it's basically the same argument.
0: It, it's okay, well, okay. I, so, hang on. So, so you're going to let her buy the dress she wants, right? Because yeah. you want a happy wife, not a wife who's unhappy and sharpening her knives in a dress that you like. Because, <laughs> yes. you know, no, no yes. dress looks good with a husband's blood spatters on it. So right. <laughs> you don't want that. Okay. Now, as far as a, so the kids, uh, as far as classes that the kids want, mm-hmm. like they want to go to dance class or, I don't know, gymnastics class or like, is it that kind of stuff?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. And these, of course, are quite expensive and you have two older girls, so you can't do one and not the other. So you've got a double, double price, Right. Right. Now, did you guys grow up as children with these classes? I didn't. And I just like, want to understand if you guys did or didn't. Because these, these classes is kind of like a new thing in the world. Uh, I mean, I did some, some Boy Scouts when I was younger. And I guess I took some swimming lessons very early on, although I mostly taught myself to swim. And I had some activities at school, like I was on the swim team, I was on the water polo team, I was on the cross-country team, you name it. Soccer team, I played and played and played. But that was all free because it was part of the school. And so I didn't have classes. I mean, my childhood was very different in that now it seems like every time you want to take a kid somewhere, it's 20 or 40 bucks or something like that. Whereas when I was a kid, you just had to go out and find your own amusement for no money until the streetlights came on, (laughs) right? Right. And so, did you guys grow up with these expensive childhood activities, or is this kind of new for you?
2: Uh, it, it is new to me. I, I took swimming classes, but I learned how to swim, and then I was done. We played organized sports like uh, American football, basketball. In her, she did gymnastics when she was a kid, and swimming too. But to oh, me so hers were more important. expensive.
0: So, so hers were more expensive than yours. Is that right? like her childhood activities? Because gymnastics, there's no free gymnastics that I know of. It's all quite pricey. All right. 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 So so she grew up up with expensive hobbies and you didn't. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So there's a difference in, in expectation in that she wants to give her children, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just so you know where she's coming from, but she wants to give her children the fun stuff that she had right? And did her father work and her mother stay home? Daughter, huh? Erica's, when she was little.
3: Yeah, my mom uh, working, but is working the hard time. Uh, yeah, she,
0: she, okay. She worked part time, the mother. Okay, so Erica, your dad would be the one who paid the most for your gymnastics and other stuff, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, if, you are, if you want to provide something for your children that you didn't receive yourself, it's a little bit harder to to do it, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. My daughter came up and said, Daddy, I really want helicopter lessons. I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. I'd be like, uh, I, what? What? <laughs> You know, I didn't. I didn't have helicopter lessons, and I. Well, that wasn't the problem with my childhood. Was a lack of helicopter lessons, and so. If a parent wants to provide, or so, so like Erica, you want to provide to your kids, say the gymnastics that you had. But Rod didn't have these expensive hobbies uh, or expensive uh, pastimes or activities when he was young, so there's a difference of. Experience so for you, Erica, it was an, I assume an important and positive part of your childhood. But because it wasn't part of Rod's childhood, it's a little probably a little harder for him to understand the importance of what you experienced. I don't know if I'm making any sense or if I'm even being accurate, but that's the thought that's in my mind.
2: Yes, so yeah, I mean, we were nodding, so yeah.
0: Okay, good, good. So so understanding that. Different experiences. Uh, Everything about childhood seems to have become professionalized. (laughs) Like it's because uh, when I was a kid, you you just you went out and you found kids to play with, and uh, you know even if you didn't have a ball, you'd find something to do. You'd have a tree climbing contest. You'd you'd play Red Rover. You'd you'd whatever, right? Like you'd find you'd go and explore the woods, and you'd you'd make forts in the woods out of whatever you could find. Like it was all free, and it was all self generated but i don't know if it's because there's a lot of working parents around it doesn't really matter but why but now it seems like everything to do with childhood is just this endless ka-ching kaching, ching ka-ching ka-ching <laughs> you know like childhood used to be expensive enough now it just seems like you're just taking this big pile of money and burning it on the front lawn so your kids can can do stuff and so it's for me at least it's it's harder to get over to that place where it's like well, of course she needs, you know, like uh, dance lessons that cost $200 a month. I'm like, what? <laughs> I used to just dance in my living room. What are you doing, right? And so it's harder if because if, you've got Rod's experience of not having these expensive activities combined with him paying the bills or him making the money that pays the bills makes it tougher to, um, to have him say, yay, let's spend the money. Does that make sense?
3: yeah
0: and this doesn't mean whether your kids should or should not have ballet lessons or or gymnastics lessons or whatever it's going to be, but recognize that you're coming from a different place right uh and and so that's going to cause some. Some challenge, right? So for you, Erica, I assume it's very important that your daughters have gymnastics lessons. And for you, Rod, I guess it's it's more of a challenge to feel that that's important, right? So for you, Erica, it might be something, the importance is like 8 out of 10, 80% important, whereas for Rod, it might be like 30% important. Yeah, it'd be nice. You know, if we win the lottery, then they can go, right? Uh, and, and where you have eighty percent importance and thirty percent importance, that's tough. And the only way to fix that there's only there's only three ways to fix that. When you have eighty percent important gymnastics and thirty percent important gymnastics, there's only three ways to fix that. I guess four there's four ways to fix it <laughs> four ways to fix it. So Erica, you can get Rod's enthusiasm for gymnastics from 30% to 80%, and then you're both in agreement. You can lower your importance from 80% to 30%, and then it probably doesn't happen, and you're both in agreement. You can both meet at 50%, in which case maybe it will, maybe it won't, but at least you're not fighting about how important it is. Or you don't have to negotiate any change in percentage, but Rod has the final say, in which case his 30% vetoes your 80% just because He's making the money. So those are the only... But if you just keep having the same... Well, it's important to me. Well, it's not that important to me. Well, you're just going to keep chafing, you know, like that strap on the back of your sandals when you're on a long walk. It's just going to get worse and worse. And then you're just fighting about fighting. You're not even fighting about the thing itself. You're not even fighting about gymnastics or, or money or responsibilities or chores. or like you're, not, you're just fighting about fighting. You're just fighting about fighting in the same way that if you you walk around for long enough with shoes that don't fit and you get some blister on your heel then every shoe you put on becomes painful and just walking barefoot can become painful and it just becomes annoying and then it gets infected and then like it, it was originally just something about you walked in your sandals and you got and now it's become this big problem that doesn't have anything to do with sandals anymore Right? So the, you have to really try and find ways to solve conflicts quickly because the longer they last, the more likelihood they are to go toxic, to go sepsis-based, to, to get infected, and then you end up fighting about fighting rather than about anything in particular, and then it'll never end until you decide to stop it. So you have to find some way that you can both have a way of solving conflicts that you both agree on. If it's about money, who wins? My vote. You negotiate, you negotiate. If you can't find a solution, Rod wins. How about chores? Well, chores are Erica's job, right? what I mean is Erica's in charge of the chores. So, Rod, you, you can have final say in the money. Erica, you have final say in the chores, right? So, if he's like, well, I don't like doing these chores, well, you can negotiate. But if you can't find a way that you can sort it out, then, Erica, you win. And, and you can divide these things up and you can say, look, sure we want to negotiate, and we'll try negotiating. But if we can't negotiate, who wins? Who gets the final say? And you have to love and respect each other to know, enough to know, you've made children together, you live together, you've known each other for, what, 14 or 15 or 16 years. So you have to trust each other to know that if Rod says no about something to do with money, that's okay. He could do that. He's not going to do that just to be mean. And if Erica says no to something about chores, you just have to do it this way. Right? Like uh, cleaning the bathrooms, right? Cleaning the bathrooms. Men have a standard called cleaning the bathroom, which is, well, one day it might rain in the house and then the bathroom will get clean. (laughs) Whereas women have, you know, I need uh, something that uh, that scrubs every piece of foreign matter off the tiles at the atomic level. Some were, you know, so when it comes to, say, cleaning the bathrooms, it's Erica's standards who win. You can negotiate and say, well, you know, I don't, right? my wife was like, clean behind the bathroom, clean behind the toilet. I'm like, there's a behind the toilet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she wins, right? I mean, I, I barely made a bed. Like most men, I barely made a bed before I got married. Now if I get up second, I'll make the bed in the morning. Because my wife is in charge of that. She's in charge of the home. So I do things to her satisfaction. There are other things that I'm in charge of, which I'm sure I'll be informed of at some point. No, I'm kidding. Right? So it just makes things easier. She's in charge of the home, and you're in charge of the money. You can negotiate, but who gets the final say? And if you just accept that, it's so much easier. My dentist is in charge of my teeth (laughs) because my dentist, she knows what she's doing and I'm just like, okay, (laughs) whatever you say, doc. It's just so much easier to surrender your authority is the very definition of trust. Trust is to surrender your will to someone else. If I get sick and my doctor says, take these pills, yeah, I might do a bit of research, but yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. You know, if I go to three mechanics and they all say, you need a new carburetor, I guess I need a new carburetor, right? I mean, and life gets progressively better the more you find people you can surrender your will to because that's trust. And the person you can surrender your will to the most is the person you love the most. And if you guys are hoarding your willpower, like, I'm going to do it my way, and I want to get it my way, and I'm not going to surrender my will to someone else. You know, and I'm not saying this is the case with you guys, of course, but, you know, feminists have been poking and prodding at women. Don't you surrender yourself. You know, when I say a man should be in charge of the finances if he's making the money, right? No, that's love. That's trust. That's love. That's trust. Surrender your will to someone else's expertise. Erica's got her areas of expertise. Rod has got his areas of expertise. Surrender. Merge. Be the sum of the parts that is greater than the pieces. Nobody can live under a brick, but you put enough bricks together in a roof, you got a house, you can live there. The only way for the sum to be greater than the parts is through trust and the surrender of autonomy and the surrender of willpower. And the more you can do that, the more the other person, if they're a good person, will feel honored, will feel treasured, will feel respected. You know, my wife went on a glucose fructose kick. She did the research and she's like, this stuff ain't coming into our house anymore. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I trust you. I assume you're not taking from things that I rightfully honestly need to be a healthy human being, you know, I guess I could go do the research too, but okay, it's gone, right? Like two months ago, I just basically cut sugar out of my diet. Okay, I'm sure it's fine, <laughs> you know? I trust her. I trust her. But if you guys want to be married and you want to be co-parents and you want to be merged Hopefully for the next 60 years, you need to give each other power over you. Like the way that I give my mechanic and my dentist and my doctor and whoever I trust power over me. Now, if you have a bad dentist, you can change your dentist, but you guys are wedded here, right? You guys don't have that choice to come and go as you See, please, does you see fit about this? And if you can find ways to trust each other, if you can find ways to surrender your autonomy, then you will find that the amount of conflict you have will go down. You will also find that the amount of stress that you have will go down. Don't you guys wake up every morning worried about your conflicts, worried about your fighting, worried about your disagreements, worried about your marriage, worried about your hearts, worried about your futures, worried about the emotional and financial and parenting catastrophe called divorce. That is really stressful. Why would you want that? Why would you want that when you can simply surrender to what your naughty bits have done in the creation of children and surrender to the other person's expertise and you get down and you get a big piece of paper and you say, okay, here's what we fight about. We fight about money. We fight about chores. We fight about this. We fight about responsibility. We fight about this. We, Okay. Who's better at these things? And be honest. My guess is that Rod's better at money. is better at home management. That's my guess. I don't know, you guys. It's just my thought. I mean, it could be different. It could be the opposite. I don't know. But you've got to figure out who's better at these things. Whoever's better at these things... That person becomes the decision maker. <laughs> the final. You still negotiate, of course, right? But that person is the final decision maker. You make your case, and that person decides. That's the only way life works. Think of the number of people whose judgment you defer to every day. You put your key in your car, hope it doesn't blow up, <laughs> because I hope the engineers and the people who made the car know what they're doing. Every time you cross a bridge, I hope the engineers weren't stoned. I hope they built a bridge that will stay up. Every time you ride in an elevator, hope the people who made the cables weren't insane and weakening them. Every time you flip on a light switch, hope the people who built the house weren't crazy suicidal electricians who just want to kill people. Right? Every time you download something from the internet, every, everything you do involves massive amounts of trust in other people. If you didn't trust other people, you could neither get out of bed nor get into bed. <laughs> you wouldn't even get into bed because you wouldn't trust the people who made the mattress. They wouldn't make a spring that would go through and pierce your heart or something. Life is only bearable when we surrender our will and trust other people. And I'm not saying this is a smooth and easy thing, oh, just draw some circles, but you need to find areas where you can surrender your will to others. If you had to get out every time you're about to cross a bridge, if you had to get out and manually inspect that bridge from top to bottom to make sure it was safe and you had to look at the blueprints and you had to call up the... You'd never get anywhere. So trust in each other. Find areas where you can trust the other person's judgment and then just surrender to that person. Because right now... You guys are going to a restaurant and elbowing aside the waiter and going in and cooking your own food, and what's the point? You go to a restaurant, you're kind of trusting the cook to not spit in your food. I mean, it doesn't even have to be one of those crazy restaurants where you eat that Japanese poison fish that if it's not cooked correctly, your head explodes. We're just talking about, can I buy a dress? Okay, can I buy a dress? Rod, can you afford it? Yes or no? If you can afford it, yes. Okay, who's better at choosing dresses? Erica, because they're her dresses. (laughs) So there you go. That doesn't need to be a conflict. When it comes to negotiating standards around the house and how things work, okay, Erica's job. There are other things that you can do, and you will find it astounding. You will find it astounding at how relaxing it is to surrender your autonomy, to surrender your skepticism, to surrender your will, and to conform to your partner's expertise. And, of course, it's always open to renegotiation and, of course, Sometimes your partner will make a mistake. That's fine. Sometimes you get into a cab and the cab takes you to the wrong place. It's happened to me a couple of times in my life. It doesn't mean I'll never get into a cab again. Well, okay, now there's Uber, so that's different. But trust. You guys are trying to hoard all the decision-making to yourself and that is going to cause you nothing but friction. And it's not necessary at all.
2: We, we're going to try that. We, I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. But before my time's up, can, can we go back to why then I feel that you know basically I have no value here. Like all I do is work, all I do is help around the house, and still feel like nothing is you know, valued enough. Is there anything we can talk about that?
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, we can because I'm I'm with you on this one, which doesn't mean. That you're right, it just means that we're either both right or both wrong together. I put my prejudice out there up front. In that I in my experience, and Erica, I'm not trying to speak for your what you do in your experience, but in my experience, women expect to be praised for what they bring every day to the relationship. They expect to be appreciated. I cooked you this lovely meal. You didn't even say thank you or how wonderful it was. And that's just kind of something that is taken for granted that a woman who cleans the house, you've got to come home and say, the fact that this house is clean is wonderful. Let me kneel down and kiss the hardwood or whatever, right? And I think that's fine. I look Great. Appreciation is wonderful. But I think, and this is just part of the propaganda that women throughout the world, and particularly in the West, have been exposed to, which is what a woman does needs to be praised and needs to be recognized and needs to be appreciated. Otherwise, you're you know, selfish and ungrateful. But the fact that a man is going out there working 10 hours a day for the family is often not visible. Right? So, I mean, if, if your wife went out and did ten, spent 10 hours doing something for you, she went, she went out that you, that you really liked, that you really cared about, she just did spend 10 hours doing something wonderful for you, of course, you'd be like, wow, that's, thank you so much. That is so thoughtful. That's so wonderful, right? Now, you go out and you work 10 hours a day, and it's not like you're keeping a lot of that money for yourself. As you say, you feel like an ATM, right? You're just this flow-through for money. I mean, if you were a single guy, you'd be uh, off picking grapes in Queensland or something like that. Travel the world and, you know, all the hookers you can eat. (laughs) right? Whatever, right? And it is generally the case in the modern world, and I don't know if this is more true throughout history or not, that a woman wants to be appreciated for what she brings to the family, but the hard work and the money that men do to keep those families alive is generally not appreciated. In other words, and maybe I'm completely wrong about this and maybe I'm just, my own experiences is clouding but let me ask you this Rod, when was the last time where you came home and Erica said, thank you so much for going for work today for us, for going to work today. I know you don't always enjoy your job. I know there's times where you you get up and you'd like rather rip off one of your own fingers and feed it to ducks than go to work. But you get up and you go to work. And I know that you go and make all this money and basically we, <laughs> we just hoover it up, you know, and that's the deal, right? I know that, But I just wanted to tell you how much I enormously appreciate the fact that you get up and you shave and you get dressed and you drive, you fight traffic, you go to work, it's stressful and it's difficult. And the government takes half, and we take the other half. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate that. You should be hearing that a lot. Do you hear that?
2: No. I right. Hear
0: You've never heard that ever? No. That's terrible. I'm not, look, I'm not saying Erica's a terrible person. Sadly, that's just where our culture is. Men are just disposable machines that... Produce goods like mystery, you know, like like, if you go out and plant a tomato plant in the ground, you don't sit there and say thank you, rain, thank you, earth, right? It's just what nature does. And sadly, when it comes to men providing for their families, it used to be more respected, I think. It used to be more appreciated, but now it's just like, uh, what are you complaining about? It's just taken for granted. Like the man just goes and. Right? But you don't have to be doing this. You could be doing lots of other things. You could go and quit and become uh, somebody who mimes in the subway. I don't know. (laughs) Whatever you want to do. But it is... um, uh, I assume that Erica likes it when you appreciate the things that she does that make the family life better. Right? I mean, is that fair to say? She likes it when you're appreciative? This is the part where you can reply. So, I guess... No, hang on, hang on. I just asked you a question. I think you're about to go off in some other direction. Does Erica like it when you appreciate what she does for the family? I don't do that much either. Okay. Well, I think that you don't, you don't want to wait till you get divorced to find out how much the other person is doing for the family, because boy, I'll tell you. If you get divorced, it will become very clear how much Erica is doing for the family. And Erica, if you get divorced, it will become abundantly clear how much Rod is providing for the family. You don't want to wait until after the disaster has occurred to appreciate what you have in the here and now. Now, I would assume that at some point you've obviously, you know, I mean, if, if Erica spent four hours making your favorite meal, you probably would say thank you, right?
2: No, again, that doesn't come the other way either. I don't appreciate much. I don't barely. I don't. Sometimes I would do it, but. Not, it, no, it's, that's not a, it's not a custom. I don't really do it.
0: Is she a good mom to your children? She is. Okay. Are you happy that she's a good mom to your children? Yes. Have you thanked her for being such a good mom to your children? Have Um, you said, not thanked her like it's a favor, but you appreciate it? No,
2: don't say that. Right.
0: So then you're not appreciating her, and then you're complaining that she's not appreciating you. Well, someone's got to take the first step. You know, like when you're stuck, someone's got to take the first step. Maybe it'll be her, maybe it'll be you, but you can't count on her, you can only count on you so how about showing her some appreciation now if you show her some appreciation after a while you can say i like to be appreciated too it takes a lot of the sting out of working for your family if you come home and your family says thank you so much for working so hard for us we really appreciate it we we recognize that we'd be living in a ladder if if you didn't go to work for us thank you so much thank you for dealing with the stress Thank you for dealing with the problems. Thank you for dealing with the customers and the bosses and the impossible deadlines and all the problems that come with working. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That would help a lot, right? I mean, I'm not saying it would make every day like skipping through the rainbows, but it would help a lot to know that what you were doing was actually appreciated. Yes, it would. So, show your appreciation Express your need for appreciation. We all need, we all need it. We all need it. We all need to be appreciated. Because that's the currency. Right? I mean, restaurants don't like it if you come to their dining room, eat a meal, and don't pay for it. Now, your wife can't pay you to go to work because it's your money <laughs> to begin with, right? Here's 100 bucks. Here, I'd like to give you back 10 bucks. Thank you for going to work, right? So the only coinage in a family, is appreciation. And nobody likes to do a job and not get paid. And in families, nobody likes to work hard and surrender their own immediate self-interest for the sake of the good of everyone else and not be appreciated. You know, like, uh, an economy can't work without price. It can't work without price. The value of something that people are willing to. And, and families can't work without appreciation because appreciation is the family version of currency, of price. You need to know what your family appreciates the most so that you can supply that the most. <laughs> right In the same way that people who produce diamonds need to know how valuable diamonds are to know whether they should produce more diamonds or not. Appreciation is the economic incentive of a cashless economy like a family. And where you have a family that is short of appreciation, you have a family that is operating without market signals. That sounds kind of cold and calculated. But any economy that operates without market signals is going to collapse over time. And appreciation is the coin with which we buy the services provided in a family. So if she's providing a great service as a mom, which is hugely important, and you're not appreciating it, then you're not paying her for the service she's providing. You might as well have called an electrician over, have him work for you for a week full time, and then just refuse to pay his bill. Well, guess what? (laughs) Here comes resentment, here comes conflict, here comes anger. Here comes a massive waste of resources, chasing bills, avoiding phone calls. Big mess. You don't pay for the services you consume. Big mess. That's why I'm constantly reminding people to donate at freedomainradio.com. And so if you are consuming through your children her great parenting and you're not showing appreciation... then you're stealing. And if she is consuming the money that you go out and work hard to bring home for the family, and she is not showing appreciation, then she is stealing. You need to pay for what you consume. That's fair. That's just. That's right. That's healthy. That's good. You need to pay for what you consume. You are consuming her parenting through your children and she is consuming your money through her spending. Not on dresses, but on having a house and having food and all that. And if you take someone's services without paying them, you will just end up with a lot of resentment and conflict. Appreciation is foundational to the long-term happiness of any cashless economy. I mean, you ever give money to charity, they don't turn around and say, well, screw you, <laughs> right? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, right? I say this to, uh, to people who donate. Sometimes I say it to them individually. Thank you, thank you so much. You've probably heard me on this show, the end of these calling shows. I thank people so much for their trust in talking to me about that which is most important to them. I say I feel honored. I do. I give them the honest appreciation. I said at the very beginning of this call, a very brave letter. Do you remember me saying? I appreciate the courage of you guys bringing this stuff up. Because I am consuming your time. You've, I'm, I'm fully conscious that every minute I'm speaking is another dollar you have to pay <laughs> for someone to take care of your three kids. So I appreciate that you're coming to this conversation after having failed with marriage therapists and so on appreciation is the coin with which you must pay those you love and if you don't you are withholding payment if you're consuming services if she's taking your money using it for shelter and stuff for the kids and she's not appreciating it from you that's a kind of thievery and if you are taking her parenting for your children and not appreciating it that's a kind of thievery and whenever we don't pay our bills, we end up with a lot of conflict, right? It
2: makes a lot of sense. I've never really thought about, you know, that you have to pay for, for, for you know, how, how you pay in a family. I never thought about it that way. But it makes a lot of sense.
0: You do. I mean, I'm sure you have it with your kids sometimes. I know I do that you feel like an ATM and they just assume, I'm like, don't, don't you take me for granted, <laughs> right? Don't you just assume I'm going to buy something for you? I'm not a magic-free robot of, of stuff because if, if you have to guard being appreciated in the same way that if you run a business, you have to make sure you get paid, and if you're providing services in the family, and a family is all about providing services, you have to make sure that you get paid. Now, the problem is, of course, <laughs> she can't go on strike. And I, I can say to my daughter, and it doesn't happen very often, I can say, look, I'm not going to buy you anything, <laughs> right? The last two times I bought you something, you barely even said thanks, so no, right? Because she needs to know that if I'm going to buy her something, she needs to appreciate what I'm doing. Otherwise, no buy, <laughs> right? I need, that's an important lesson for her to learn, right? The appreciation is the coinage. Now, you can't go on strike. You can't say, well, I'm not feeling appreciated, so I'm quitting my job. You know, because you guys are probably addicted to food and shelter and stuff like that. So you can't quit. And she can't exactly say, that's it. Mom's on strike. (laughs) Go hunting and foraging, 18-month-old boy. (laughs) Good luck. Right? So because you can't go on strike, you because you can't quit. Right? And that's, I mean, I think, in my opinion, I'm just some guy. It's my amateur opinion. You guys can more than save this. You can make it great. First of all, you need to, because you've got three children who are going to be devastated by a divorce. Devastated. And that will last them. That devastation will last them for the rest of their lives. And unless you're in immediate physical danger, I don't believe you have the right to inflict divorce on children. You know, two years ago, you decided to have another child. (laughs) two years ago and a half or whatever. And uh, that child has the right to stability. You guys aren't abusive. You aren't setting fire to each other. You're not screaming epithets at each other. I know you're getting into conflicts in front of the kids, and that's something that needs to be fixed. But you're not in any immediate physical danger. You're not depressed or suicidal based on your relationships. So, yeah, fix it. Fix it. Just make that commitment. Make that million-dollar commitment to yourself every morning. I'm going to appreciate. I'm going to negotiate. We're going to sit down and plan out how we're going to resolve these disputes, and then we're damn well going to stick to it. There's no point having a project plan and then flying blindfold, right? I bought a GPS so I could throw it in the river. <laughs> so you just you, you sit down. You draw these circles of expertise. Where am I going to surrender? Who's going to have the final say? You try and get your percentages of importance close to each other, and if you can't, Figure out a way to resolve it. You wake up every morning saying, If this person wasn't in my life, how much more difficult would my life be? I mean, gosh, imagine. Imagine. Rod, you wake up, no one's there to take care of your kids. What's your life like? It's a disaster. Erica, you wake up, nobody's there making any money for the family. What's your life like? It's a disaster. Don't wait for that to happen in order for you to find appreciation. Don't wait until you've broken something to realize how important it was for you that it not be broken. Don't smash something and only afterwards realize that what you broke was your own life support system. Don't harm your children to the extent that divorce harms your children for something as ridiculous as not being appreciative for something as ridiculous as fighting over dresses for something as ridiculous as not surrendering your will to someone because you don't trust them even though you made 3 brand new human beings with them that is not the time to give up your trust on someone after you happen to have made 3 human beings who are completely dependent on you A little too late <laughs> To say I don't trust you. So now you've got to grit your teeth and trust each other. And it's new and you'll make mistakes. And you'll feel like withdrawing your trust. Too bad. You've got that million dollar incentive. And the good of your children. You wake up and you commit. To making your family life as great as you possibly can. And there's so much of this that is under your control. That if you fail. It's on you. And your wife. Not on anyone else. So don't fail. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it it does, and we we will we will not fail. I know yes. that, Will you keep know us posted?
0: That, I'm sorry. Will you keep us posted?
2: Yeah, cause let it, us know it's, how it's going. Yeah, just just quickly. So ba- again, mainly the reason is that we see that the kids are, you know, showing some of the behaviors, so we want to stop that now. And, and
0: apologize to them for that, right? Yes. Yes. It's not their fault, right? They didn't ask for that. And uh, you know, once you make that commitment to your kids to do better, it's a great incentive to do better. Yes. Well, thank you. you know, so when I said daughter. when I said to my daughter when she was young, I will never raise my voice at you. It's hey, a pretty good incentive for not raising your voice. All right, keep us posted and listen. If you if you get stuck, feel free to call back in if there's anything else I can do to help. And let me just ask you this before you guys jump off: um, How was? Uh, my feedback for you was it useful, different, interesting, something you can actually act on, helpful?
2: It, to me, it's different from what I heard from from you know from the therapists. You know that we always have to, you know, they force you to make an agreement on everything, and they never say, you know, sometimes you need to refer. I don't think I ever heard that, so that's different. It's refreshing from my point of view. Good. Um, the other stuff about how pay in a in a coinless economy like a family that's also neat me so i appreciate those appreciate that feedback.
0: good yeah division of labor is is essential and you can't have division of labor without trust all right thank you so much guys i really appreciate again you guys calling in it's a raw raw topic and the fact that you would put even a smidgen of the success of your marriage in my idiot hands on the internet i hugely hugely appreciate so i'm very glad that what I said was some of some value, and please let us know uh, how it's going. and And thank you for the help that you provided to other people, um, at least in in talking about these issues, because they're they're common. I mean, you're not alone in this. So, all right, so let's move on to the next caller, Mr. Mike.
1: All right. Well, up next is Josh, and Josh wrote in and said, "Before we dive into the Bernie Sanders apocalypse debate." I must have a chance to tell Steph that he is wrong about the characters in Goodfellas. They are evil people, but they are also pure K in its most primal form. Okay, so, Josh, be sure to tell Steph about Goodfellas. Then he continued, It's actually linked to my argument for Bernie Sanders. If we accept that a political process is unethical, could it be that a Sanders election could be best by speeding up the collapse of the semi-imperial, semi-socialist American empire, which is leaning and thus should be pushed over? So. Josh has the argument for voting for Bernie Sanders because he's the one most likely to lead to the quickest collapse of the United States government. I don't think you're going to find on a Bernie Sanders 2016 placard. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man.
0: It's it's the movie. (laughs) So basically what you're saying is the movie Titanic is just way too long for you. (laughs) And what you really want to do is just call in some giant meteor to evaporate the whole thing just after it leaves America. (laughs) So, you know, because it's kind of agonizing all of that. I think I told this story before, like I was on a, uh, I went out with a woman to to go and see Titanic way back in the day. And uh, I got one of these giant pops and drank it and, you know, I had to go to the washroom. But, you know, I always feel like you can't pee on a date, you know, especially a first date. You can't fart, you can't pee because, you know, you got to be a perfect glowing prince of (laughs) biological immaterialism. And uh, so I just didn't want to go and pee. And um, but I really had to. And man, I'm telling you, quite a lot of sloshing water in the second half of that film. <laughs> oh, good. They're running through water in slow motion again. I really, I got to pee like a racehorse. All right. Anyway, so, um, so
1: instead of watching all of Titanic, you hope they just drown Leo DiCaprio in a bathtub in the first five minutes. That's the, that's.
0: <laughs> I, I've had that feeling on more than one occasion. <laughs> I, I really have. I but, like
1: Leo's movies. Never mind but, but his uh, global but
0: en- nonsense, but. Uh. But enough about The Great Gatsby and his environmental hypocrisy. <laughs> Um, you know, it's really important. We don't consume many resources. So I'm going to take a private jet back and forth six times to Los Angeles in a month because, you know, I got some fucking movie deals to work on. <laughs> wow. 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 Anyway, uh, he's uh, he is a, 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 a great acting talent and a colossal douchebag of almost immeasurable hypocrisy. Not as bad, bad as Jorge Ramos, though. Jorge Ramos, who who really believes that, you know, immigrants are fantastic and, and you know, diversity is so wonderful and the public school system will have no problems uh, bringing in people who speak uh, more languages than there are face masks at a Star Trek convention. But uh, he takes his children, Jorge Ramos takes his children. Where does he put them? Well, he puts them pretty much where most rich people who praise the public school system put their children. His uh, children actually are in a $30,000 a year private school where I don't imagine there are a lot of children of illegal immigrants hanging out. I'm, not, you know, I'm just going to get, oh, well, no. No, that's not true because I'm sure they need groundskeeping as well. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Because I made this argument, oh, gosh, way back in the day. Um, way back in the day. I think it was like my third or fourth article or something like that. Uh, I made this case uh, which was, um, and I sent it off, I think, Lou Rockwell. Uh, he didn't publish it because he said, you know, he'd heard the worse is better argument, like, let's just, you know, <laughs> let's just shoot this patient who's not going to recover anyway <laughs> and everything will be fine. And uh, I've certainly made that case before, you know, like back in the day with Ron Paul, like um, if Ron Paul wants to say, uh, deal with teachers' pensions because they're breaking the economy. And I know this is like, it's not a federal blah, blah, blah. But, you know, just is just sort of an example. You want to go in, you want to deal with the teachers' pensions. Well, the teachers go on strike, which means that your economy is going to collapse because parents can't go off to work. And uh, so at some point, you have to break the teacher's strike. And then the, you're going to have to call in the police or the National Guard if it gets hairy. And then some teachers going to fall or bloody their nose or something like that. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, it's like, uh, oh, this is what happens when you have a libertarian president and there's some weeping angel-faced teacher with a bloody nose and it's like, what has happened to this country? And, uh, you know, everybody is horrified, horrified, I tell you, that the government involves force, right? Like there's this poll that just – I'll shut up in a second. There's this poll that just came out about how um, I think it was 60 or 60-odd percent of, of Americans support – the forced deportation of illegal immigrants. Now, putting all of my political opinions to the side, as I sometimes do to people's confusion, uh, I can play devil's advocate. <laughs> doesn't mean that. Anyway. But, um, and, and 40% of Hispanics support the forced deportation of illegal immigrants. And, of course, the media does its best staggering backwards, knocking over the China pearl-clutching routine of infinite horror.
4: Oh, Stanley! <laughs>
0: As if, as if w- 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 the forced deportation, that's what illegal immigration means. That's what illegal means. W- w- what do you mean it's illegal and there's force involved? It's like that's what illegal means. It means the government can use force. You don't pay your taxes. They'll use force to take you to prison, and they'll shoot you dead if you resist. That's what it means, people, for there to be a law. Whoa, wait a minute. They're here illegally? And you support force to deport them? It's like, yes, because, well, not I don't, but but that's the reality of what the government does. You know, it's like people saying, I really want liquor to be illegal. Wait a minute. You're using force to put people in jail who are using liquor? It's like, I I, I don't think you really know what the word illegal means if this is confusing to you. So the fact that uh, there would be force used to deport illegal immigrants and that anybody might be shocked is ridiculous. I mean, the, the people that can't possibly, you can't comment on anything to do with politics if you don't understand that the government has a monopoly on the initiation of force. If you don't understand that, then you're like a doctor who doesn't understand that health is not a ghost that lives in your body. <laughs> you just have nothing to say. Uh, sorry, Mike got me the facts. Uh, 59% of Americans favor forced deportation of illegal aliens. Even 40% of Hispanics support forced deportation. Uh, and people like, Ooh, that's terrible, it's like, no, that's statism yeah, anyway so yeah, I, I sort of, I understand the case that, that worse is better um, but uh, I supported that case when I was more optimistic about people's capacity to listen to rational arguments you know, like I started as a public figure um, I guess uh, just a little under a decade ago, so I've got a decade and you know, 120 million downloads and and you know thousands of shows and and dozens of conferences and interviews and like I've got I've got enough experience now that I can say with some credibility that I have a fairly good view of where we are as a movement and it's not good it's not good so I would be more willing to say worse is better right If, if if there are enough people who really, really want to live in a free society. And by free society, I don't mean all the way to anarcho-capitalism or anything like that, but just, okay, so the government runs into its fiscal challenges and everyone's like, great, well, now we're ready to really shrink the size and power of the state because it's the compulsion that has failed and blah bloody, blah de, blah right? So like most people who launch themselves into the public sphere, I did so with great energy, enthusiasm, and optimism. Because it's like, well, I've got some pretty unassailable arguments. Taxation is force and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, as I sort of detailed recently in the presentation, which I think people should really check out, called The Death of Reason Why People Don't Listen to Reason and Evidence. And uh, you can look at the associated YouTube comments proving the wrong, but fuck them. I've got my own opinions. Just kidding. But um, we are not at the place where the collapse of the state is going to bring about. A even remotely free society. I'm not
4: looking uh, for a free ago, society. Ten years ago. I'm sorry? I'm not looking for a free society in this moment, actually. Um, wait, with, wait, hang mean,
0: on. Hang on, hang on. I don't even know what your sentence meant there. Well, I'm what I am not looking for a free is, society... Is that, hang, yeah, on, hang on, hang on. Okay. I'm not looking for a free society in this at moment. this moment. Yes, no. I don't even know what that means.
4: Okay, I'll explain that. Um, what I mean by that is I am not saying um, Bernie Sanders collapses the federal government as a result, yay freedom. no. I don't think that whatsoever. And also, too, just a little running back to what you said earlier, um, you were saying that the rational argument doesn't work. Well, actually, to, I say that that's actually a beneficial thing because right now the United States still has the illusion of wealth. People like you, me, people who understand economics, you know, it's, it's all Mickey Mouse. It's all made up. It's all just based off debt. But the average person doesn't realize that. The average person still thinks that, we still have wealth. And what's happening is, but that there's problems and they can be fixed. And now Bernie Sanders is coming in and saying, well, yay, socialism. And we're going to live like everybody knows. Everybody's perfect in all of these little fairy tale socialist areas that we all know is BS. But the average person doesn't know that. So what's going to happen is, is that we both know it's just math. It's going to collapse. So I say to the, let the leftists have it. Let them hold the bag and say to them, great, go for it, let's try socialism. Then, when what is going to happen does happen, and people get bitch-slapped by reality and math, we can go, yeah, dumb shit. That's what happens when you think that there's something is free. Remember when your grandparents told you that if somebody told you something's for free, that they're full of it, and that you shouldn't trust that? Well, you forgot that. I'm sorry that you're stupid, but... That's reality.
0: So what you don't learn... Yeah, but hang on, hang on, hang on. But ha- how on earth are you going to get that message across to the general population? Because that's that's not what the mainstream media is going to say. The mainstream media is going to say that uh, the bankers screwed socialism, that socialism was about to work, but then the financial interests intervened and, and destroyed it. And, you know, boy, you know, if we just give a little bit more control over these banking interests and we'll be fine next time, I mean, how on earth are you going to get a message of reality across to the general population. And again, I say this is a guy with 120 million-plus podcast downloads and all that. How are you going to get that message across?
4: Oh, I agree with you. Now, I'm not saying that, as in I'm saying that it's a 100% yay, this will work. No, this is just a theory that's possible. So now, right? what's more, and one of my arguments with what I say to that is, is thank goodness for, and you're going to shudder when I say this, Obama, because I'm a millennial, and— was with the first elections that I was um, able to vote with was when Obama was able to be elected. Now, I didn't vote, but the whole thing was is that people of my generation were convinced this was the once-in-a-lifetime candidate, that everything was going to be great now. And he is really, really – you see the growth of alternative media. People – you say it yourself, and I agree with you. There is a seething underlying hatred of the mainstream media and really of all things mainstream in the states – so what I'm saying with that is is that this is this is their this is statism's double down. This is the yeah, the last guy, it didn't really work out, but this dude really, really means it. And I think there are of course gonna be people that are stupid enough to where even if you see that, even if what I'm saying happens, they still won't reach him. But Those are people that you just got to write off. You'll never reach them. It's like arguing with a communist on Facebook. It's it's just a complete and utter waste of time. They will never be anything but that. But my thought is is that if the quote unquote statist, socialist, leftist, whatever you want to call it, doubles down on, well, yeah, the last guy, yeah, that kind of got away from us, but this one really means it. Well, and then if what happens happens, because you and I both know it's a matter of time. I know I've repeated myself now. But it's just math. So I don't want someone pro-free market, pro-liberty, pro-anything, anywhere near the helm of the ship when it smashes into the rocks. So that's that's just my opening argument with that. And just so I can – if I can just rattle off some of my points on it, I say that it's – that's one of the well, political ends of it. Hang on,
0: hang on, hang on.
4: I'm sorry. Go you, ahead. Just,
0: you, just, you just made an argument. Do you want me to not respond to it or do you want to just keep going?
4: Um, I just wanted to let you know that, there, that it's multifaceted. that's political, economic, peaceful parenting. Um, I, I just ha- see how this happening could benefit all of these different sectors. But if you want to stay on political right now, I'm more than happy to do that. I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to go into some long speech and just say, oh, now just listen. No, I mean, if, if you'd like to make No, it I mean, I, th- fun, I, thought we have
0: a, I thought we were going to have a bit of a debate, but you okay. Oh, a case so that Yeah, yeah no, please. Yeah, on.
4: please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. I just No, if you want to keep going, then I can save my points to later, but... No, no, but we'll, just, we'll
4: tackle them each as we go.
0: All right. Um, oh,
4: and we still haven't talked about good fellows.
0: <laughs> there are, of course, as you know, what is it? 100, 150,000 people a month coming out of government schools? Mm-hmm. So there's a continual replenishment of state zombie brain sucked idiots coming out of the public school system. And I say idiots not in that they're dumb, it's just that they're propagandized and Mm -hmm. there's no, you know maybe it's their fault, maybe it's not, but that's the reality, right?
4: If I never do squats my legs are going to be quite weak. If I never think in school, I'm never going to learn how to. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, it's not just that. I mean, because not doing squats, nobody punishes you for doing squats, but you get punished for thinking in school. You get mocked down, you get problems, right? And... um, (sighs) So it's 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 punished. You are punished yeah. for thinking uh, in, in in government schools, whether they're, right. I was you know, primary high school or schools. yeah, university. Yeah, university is brutal that way. Oh it's God. absolutely yeah. brutal that way. But, and it's even worse now than it was when I was a student. So you know, I yeah, I get but, that. It's uh, it's hard. Hang on, now you, you can't yeah. keep talking if I'm making a point. Right? I, I'm I keep, sorry, I you're about I, yeah, to interrupt me. <laughs> I'll sorry. be quiet after, in a sec, right? But we have to. We can't both be hitting the ball at the same time, or it's not right. tennis, right? Um, so you, you have this continual inflow, not to mention, of course, that, yeah, Obama has driven a lot of people away from socialism, I guess. But so what? They've just imported, uh, you know, 10 or 15 million more uh, people from Mexico who are probably socialists, right, for the most part. And so, uh, you know, they they're are based <laughs> to a large degree. And so, the, you know, the, so, okay, so I've alienated a few customers, but so what? I have millions of new customers. Uh, they're being pumped out of the government schools, and they're being drawn in through you know, free, free crap across the border. And so the idea, the, in order to even stay even with where things are, we would have to be converting at least a quarter million to 300,000 people a month to significant. And that's just to stay even. That's not to win. That's just to stay stay even with the mindless production of government sheeple that comes out of the factories of illegal immigration and government schools. And that's just two, right? There's other sources as well. And of course, there's simply no way that the libertarian movement's coming anywhere close to that. Hmm. If people had decided well, to stand with me... Should. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I'll be quiet in a second. Yeah, if, if people had decided to stand with me many years ago, uh, with the against me argument and with peaceful parenting and opposition to spanking and so on, if, if that movement had gotten going, then we might have a chance. But the libertarians didn't really want to hear that message, and they preferred to go back and uh, pound lawn signs for Ron Paul and think they were changing the world, which decidedly did not change the world. Like people say to me, well, what about Rand Paul? It's like, well, at, a, at the national political level, Rand Paul doesn't even exist. He might as well be a hand puppet. I mean, he just—you know—he's a nice guy, smart guy, and uh, you know, a good public speaker in some ways, and obviously uh, very dedicated to a lot of libertarian ideals. But the guy has no chance of getting into power. It well, he's there to educate people. It's like, well, we tried that with Ron Paul, and that didn't. Yeah. That led to Obama. So, so we can't possibly keep up with the production of uh, socialists in the world, uh, and that's largely the fault of libertarians who don't listen to good arguments and don't take a stand and aren't committed and aren't willing to have the fight. And the reality is, you know, Ron Paul, sorry, uh, uh, Donald Trump has shown that the fight is easy to win, right? You just keep speaking the truth and the media will scream at you and you just keep speaking the truth and then the media f- fades and falls away and people continue to support you even if the media pulls out the most ridiculous stuff and tells the most ridiculous lies. People, you know, just keep speaking truth and Right, but libertarians didn't want to do that. Okay, I understand. Cowardly as hell, but you betrayed your ideals. You gave up the future. You gave up your chance to make a mark on society and change things for the better. But it's okay because you know you've got uh, I don't know some lawn signs in your basement. So yay, Rita. And Steph, so, I agree with yeah,
4: you. Yeah. So we. There.
0: So we. Yeah. So we can't. And I, I'm, I'm almost done. So so we can't. Uh, we, we can't keep up with the number of people who want socialism, which means it doesn't matter if a socialist is in power uh-huh. when, when things fall apart. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, the Pope was in power when a lot of priests were raping children. It doesn't, they, they, they don't listen to reason anyway. So we need more time for peaceful parenting to spread. So I'm not on my knees begging for a collapse uh, right now. Because it's more like the end of Rome leading to a thousand years of the Dark Ages than it is uh, breaking any shackles in any fundamental way.
4: See, now, here are my uh, counters to that, is that now you talk about those things. And now I guess we first have to decide is, is how, how – what all would go away in the event of what I predict of with a dollar collapse that would be spurred on hopefully quicker by a Bernie Sanders election in the, in the, in the, uh, from the standpoint that I'm arguing for? Well – the question is, as I would say, is that what you talk about with public schools and that, well, if the federal government goes broke, I don't see a fall of Rome. I see a fall of, like, for example, what we saw with the USSR, where we'll see the welfare state, which is cranking out unbelievable amounts of single-parent households of, well, I don't, we don't you, you, you can uh, speak of that far better than I can. You and I both know what that means it would see an end to the empire in terms of producing more and more traumatized fathers and mothers coming back from godforsaken war zones. And also, too, you can make the argument of drone strikes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with that, producing a lot more dead people. So that would go away. Because the federal government would simply run out of money. Because why? They tried to have even more free shit. On top of that, too... Oh, but I mean, dude, okay. s-
0: sorry to interrupt. Sorry, just, just very briefly. Um, but... The criminal classes are already preparing for the fall of Rome in America. I, I think, I mean, if you, if you simply look at the. Um,
4: yeah, that uh, last year. The, the, ra-
0: the, on. On, the, the, ra- the random shooting of cops and stuff, right? And, and the fact that, that you can incite people to riots, as, as happened in, in Ferguson, and the fact that you can incite people to go and shoot cops and nothing bad happens to you. And the fact that cops aren't finding anyone to recruit anymore because anybody with half a brain doesn't want to have anything to do with that. The and that's fact something that else that worries th- me. Hey, hey, will you please let me finish my thought?
4: I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. You, whenever I you appreciate your enthusiasm, but yes. I,
0: I've got to be able to take a breath without okay. you jumping in. Okay. okay? Thank you. And the fact that you have um, cops who are willing. There was a cop recently who was willing to just get the living shit beaten out of him by some black guy. Because he didn't want to defend himself. And the reason he didn't want to defend himself is because he didn't want to go the way that Darren Wilson went and the way that George Zimmerman went. He just didn't, didn't want to do that. I'll take a, a v- virtually being beaten to death now rather than being tried for defending myself. And so the breakdown of the remnants of law and order in our society is being directly engineered by criminal classes. Because they're getting ready for the collapse. They know it's coming. And criminals understand the government better than voters do because they've got a lot more in common mm-hmm. <laughs> with the government. Yeah. And so, with yeah, the criminal classes, they're, they're getting all ready to ride. They're Great. getting all ready to roll.
4: To me, that's Go a ahead. wonderful thing. I mean, that's why—that's one of the few what? reasons why I'm... Oh, no, because what is the one thing that America has that no other nation has with its citizenry?
0: Uh, giant criminal class?
4: There are other nations that have that as well. But what's 300 million guns in the hands of citizens? So what I say to that is, is that then at that point, if the federal government shuts down, federal police stop being paid, state, state, local police stop being paid, and that it's not like everybody's just going to close up shop, and it's going to stop. Well, now what's going to happen is, is the power basis of communities will become more local at that point.
0: Who knows? Well, hang on, hang on, day? hang on. You know, you know that a lot of people going to get. I'm sorry, I, I just, but. I'm just. I don't want you to go on, and I'm sorry. I just complained about you interrupting, and I'm interrupting. I apologize yeah, I for that. But but you're talking about a lot of people getting killed.
4: A lot of people are going to die no matter what, Stefan. I mean, it's the step. It's you. You've talked. Okay, about Okay, but it yourself. we don't
0: have to say great.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: We don't have to say great.
4: Well, uh, if, if a, lot if those, of gonna, a lot of smokers
0: are going A lot of smokers going to die from smoking. That doesn't mean great.
4: Well, well, here, would you agree with this now? Your average person who's on welfare right now is stealing from people who are paying, being forced to pay into the system, the only difference is, is that right now the government's holding the gun to the people's heads as opposed to that individual, right? Just a yes or no.
0: It certainly it's theft, but it's okay, legal. It, it so it's, it, it okay, so you it and I agree what, with that. Yeah. So well, now, no, but it's, hang on. It's more complicated than that, though, because well, uh, most, people, most, people, most people define their ethics by what is legal.
4: Okay, that's fine. And then at that point, they'll still be able to do that with what is legal. When the government checks stop coming and now you're given the stark choice of I can either, A, become a criminal and do it for real and rob and do those things, or I can find out how I can be a productive member in my society and be a peaceful person, well, then you're going to have a stark choice. And now at this point, those people who have said, you know what, yeah, the gravy train's over. It's time to go and work. It's time to see what in my local community can be done now that – hey, if the federal government goes away, now we have an $18 trillion debt plus hundreds of millions of, I mean, hundreds of trillions, I'm sorry, of unfunded liabilities gone, regulations gone for the most part. Just the parasite of the federal government is gone, provided if you have local states go into, let's just, I, I, I'm theorizing into confederations. Who knows? Certain areas could be much better off. And then at that point, good people can vote can vote with their feet. But at, But if you're going to make a choice of, no, I'm entitled to those things. And you know what? If I want some shit, I'm going to take it. Well, at least now you're being more honest as a thief and as a horrible person. And at least now when you come through my door, I can shoot you. And this get, is where
0: look, I get. No, I, I get that. I get that. But I just don't think you want to say there's going to be a giant die-off. Great.
4: No, because I you mean, see, the whole thing it is, is, is this is, is where it goes it back to fragile. my Goodfellas argument. No, this is, this is R&K. Because you see, you talked about with um, with Goodfellas and that the Goodfellas were one—they were evil, but they were one hundred percent k. Because within the mafia, there is a two things: a top-down hierarchy and extreme in group preference. And now in that movie, Joe, hmm?
0: did you not? Did you not see that movie?
4: Yeah, Joe Pesci was not killed by Robert De Niro. Joe Pesci was killed by the boss because he killed a made member of the mafia. When he himself was not a made member and without approval. So he stepped out of line. And if you look at wolves, what is it? There's the alpha wolf who barks orders and the other ones get in line. And there's that hierarchy. There's a set rule structure. Well, Joe Pesci stepped out of line and Joe Pesci, as a result, was killed. And everybody outside. Are you saying, of that, hang on,
0: hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh my God. Are you saying that Joe Pesci? in randomly shooting the heel off a waiter is somehow K? No,
4: that's not why... That's not... That's Oh, you're asking if it's somehow K? I, that, no, that's evil. I said that they're K, but that they're evil. I mean, people who are K can also be evil.
0: Well, I, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> because I don't... People, you're claiming there's who, some overlap people, here. Well, no, I understand the sentence structure. I just don't understand the argument, because you're saying, you know, people who are... People who are this can also be that. I don't know what that even means. Well, but well, I, I yeah, fail to see... Are,
4: are you saying that somebody who is case as with, with the uh, argument that you've put forward with your gene wars, that if you're case selected therefore you are good and virtuous?
0: I didn't say that at all. But well, what then I am I'm saying... saying
4: then, then, then I don't see why okay, you would disagree with my dude, state.
0: Dude, dude, dude. Okay, that's the last chance we've got for this conversation. It's just too annoying. It's too fucking annoying. Because I'm trying to respond to something you're saying, and it just immediately blows past me. I'm listening. Okay, so please, like, let's not do this interruption thing. I know you're enthusiastic, and I appreciate that, but it's just too annoying. <laughs> okay, so it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but I don't see how K it is to uh, attack your own females. Right? I don't see how K it is to get addicted to drugs. I don't see how K it is to shoot people because you're in a bad mood. And I certainly don't see how K it is for Ray Liotta's character to have an affair because K is pair bonding and investing in your children. And Ray Liotta was not doing that. So I, think it's, it, I don't think you get the K thing. Which is, you know, pair bonding, high investment in children, and a minimum of violence. Because wolves, they will play fight with each other, but they will not kill each other. Mm, I disagree right with dogs. That, dogs Steph. in general, no, they growl and then there's a submission. Right, no, you submit when if, you can't win.
4: If if one wolf challenges the alpha wolf and it doesn't back down, it is a fight to the death for who is. No, the no, alpha. they
0: do back down. They do back down because they cannot afford for every time there's a disagreement to lose key members of the hunting pack.
4: No, I'm not saying so every single time general, there's a disagreement, though. I didn't say that. I said, for as in who's in charge.
0: Yes, but they do it by submission. So you'll have a fight, right? Like deer, right? They'll, they'll fight to the point where one submits to the other, but they don't fight to the death because that's a huge uh, again, race. Based of a I, I grew
4: up out in the woods. That's wrong. No, they, they will fight to the death. I've seen that.
0: So, let's see here Mike's got something here says usually they do it for rank They usually they just injure them not kill them in very extreme cases they will kill each other for food oh so that's if they're really starving they'll kill each other for food but only in very extreme cases so according to I don't know biologists uh, they don't generally kill for um, yeah, disagreements generally. they don't care yeah, for I status yeah
4: generally okay yes.
0: okay and um, so I would not uh, say that uh there's a strong K uh, thing in, but it's not, you know, I don't really and I, I, I can see argue that about a mafia I didn't, I
4: didn't, Yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not think about those elements that you brought up. Um, I was more thinking about the extreme in-group preferences in terms of, you know, mafia-made members are allowed to do X, the outside people are sheep, etc. But yeah, now that you've said that, I am. I concede I am wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. Well,
0: and to, but to, to argue your point a little bit, it just sort of reminded me that, uh, if I remember the film right, Lee, Ray Liotta's character is lectured to by Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro's characters. That okay, he can have some crumpet on the side, but he's got to go back to his wife, he can't leave his wife. Like, they they really do focus on that uh, monogamy uh, aspect. So, it's just a little bit that goes towards your side of things. Yeah, I I just
4: always looked at it was that they were more K, but they were still you know, that's that's when I saw that because. But anyway, like I say, as in, no, I, I'm willing to say that in terms of them being as what we would, within what you've put forward with the gene wars argument, I'm willing to say, no, I was wrong in my thinking of classifying them as K, just because they have a large in-group preference and that doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's not enough uh, there to support that.
0: Now, I will say this, though, and sorry to interrupt if you were just about to finish another point, but I will say that I can certainly conceive, I can see how a K-selected human being could be perceived as evil but I think it would only generally happen when the people around him had become so are that you no longer had an in-group preference of humanity in other words if everyone around a few group of K selected people is so are then what will happen is the K selected human being will look at the people around him in the same way that wolves look at rabbits and now of course then to the rabbits the wolf will look evil But to the wolf, it's like, but you don't qualify for in-group preferences because we no longer have enough genetic similarity that our interests are bound together genetically, right? You you now have become so R that you have become legitimate prey to the Ks. And from that standpoint, I can certainly see how the Ks would be perceived as evil by the Rs, but uh, you could certainly make a case uh, for that.
4: I was just saying is, is that well? I can understand what you mean, too, is because anyone who is, as, again, I don't mean to keep repeating it, but as the argument you put forward with the gene wars, they wouldn't necessarily do anything that even UPB um, non-aggression principle standpoint would be considered evil because it would just be the risk reward simply wouldn't be there, even if we throw ethics to the side. Because if you're doing those types of things, that's just going to create such incredible instability and problems for your family and for your gene pool um, that it would just—it's—it's like—it's like you know missing a dollar to pick up a dime. It's just not worth it. So I can see where that would where I yes I was incorrect.
0: Well, and if I understand where you're coming from correctly, I don't mean to explain you to you, but my sort of thought would be that uh, when you said sort of great, you know, for this potential great die-off. Um, would it be fair to say that you are a K-perspective relative to the R's? Or to put it in another way, since we were talking about people's capacity to listen to reason, let's say that the capacity to listen to reason has a genetic component. And those who steadfastly reject and refuse reason, which is not everyone, of course, but is the majority, let's say that that refusal to listen to reason I would is, say oh, – hang sorry, on, hang on. You, I, I thought you were right done. In the middle, sorry. Right in the middle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I re- thought you were that done. Refus- sorry, that refusal – well, I said is <laughs> That's right in the middle of the <laughs> That refusal to listen to reason has a genetic basis. If it is true that it has a genetic basis, and I'm, this is just off the top of my head. I'm not going to say I'll take this to my grave. But if the refusal to listen to reason has a very strong genetic basis, then the only chance for reason to spread is for irrational people or anti-rational people to not win the gene wars, whatever that means, right? My goal would hopefully be, you know, less reproduction. Here, have some condoms and go to it, but please don't leave us with your spawn, right? Um, but uh, if for you, um, you want a rational world, a peaceful world, a, a world of free trade and philosophy and, and virtue or whatever, and if there's, if you're surrounded by people whose genetics are the opposite of that, then you're in a predator-prey-win-lose relationship. Either you're the wolf or they're the wolf, but one of you is going to be a rabbit, and so for you, uh, you're, so you're looking you're like a rabbit looking at all the wolves saying, oh, good, the wolves are really sick. Yay, great. You know, Or you're looking at as a wolf um, at, uh, at all the rabbits and saying, the rabbits are all slow. Yes, great, or whatever. But there's an interference for the spread of more rational genes, uh, and the irrational gene set is in the way. And therefore, some sort of uh, winning the gene wars has to occur for the more rational gene set.
4: Well, I guess the best way I can say it is, is um, if, if we want to continue with the R K or the animal um, metaphor, there it would be as in, as a K wolf in that, and you have surrounded by R rabbits. But for whatever reason, there was uh, people in some agency decided that the rabbits were cute and cuddly, and they don't like wolves. So now every single time the I get hungry or there needs to be – rabbits are able to run roughshod over wolves and that every single time as a wolf you try and let nature take its course, you get a tranquilizer in the ass and tofu because there's this monolithic thing that, of course, you don't understand as comes in a helicopter and shoots you with a tranquilizer dart. What I'm talking about is, is that I guess that we, what we never really established was is what I say is that with a Bernie Sanders presidency – and that I see it bringing about a USSR-style collapse much quicker. And what I say by that is is that you have to remember, now, I'm speaking purely also from self-interest. I am a millennial. I was born into this world, and I had zero say in it. Now I'm being stuck with a bill of, of course, all the debt. I'm expected to pay Social Security, which I know I will never receive a dime for, because there is no possible way, no matter who's in charge of the system, it'll last that long. Um, all the other things that I see with that. And so, what I would like to see is, is, like I said, in the event of that collapse, in the event of things getting really, really bad, I don't believe, as in, it's just going to be some gigantic, horrible uh, Sierra Leone style bloodbath. No, I don't think that at all. Now, will there be that elements? Will leftists finally try and make their 1920s plan of having their hostile takeover and installing a uh, tyrannical communist government it Just, I know I'm using a lot of those propaganda terms, etc, cetera, etc cetera. but what I mean by that, yeah, I do believe that but that's also where I sit back and say too is, is that say what you want about the founding fathers here and there, that was one very good thing that they did is that there is armed people and in the event that those people are no longer going to use the weaselly well, there's 50% of us plus one, so now you have to lay down and submit. But the moment that they pick up and try and impose their will in naked violence, well, now honest people can do that. So what I say is is that, first off, from the hopefully, like I used earlier, bitch slap of reality of, yes, you went full socialist. This is the result. Hopefully, that'll get people saying, wow, that's a bad idea. But also, what's more, too, is, is that then this giant whack-a-mole hammer of everybody has to do this because we got 50 people plus one disagree agree with us will be gone. Maybe in the event, I don't know, I, I don't even really follow that closely with normal news anymore, but maybe Texas would say, no, we are going to secede from the union because we're not doing this. And you're not going to, The other problem is that I see is is that the police, the military, et cetera, et cetera, are becoming more and more fascist over time. If it was to happen, if Texas or the West or something of that nature was to declare independence, you're not going to have the United States military marching in there and shooting American civilians to impose the federal government's will. It's just – they're not going to do that yet. Now, in another 20 years, I don't know. I don't know because I have a lot of friends – who are ex-Army, ex-Marines, a lot of them were Special Forces, and a lot of them talk to me and say, I would love to do what I did over there in America. I want to shoot people. I want to do those things. And it scares me.
0: What, these are your friends?
4: Uh, Let me put it to you this way. Yeah, friends was the wrong term. No, 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 I'm sorry. These are acquaintances of people, of friends that I do have, yes. There are a large number of if you, if you don't talk with people that you disagree with, you're never going no, to... No, no, it's yeah. fine. I just, yeah, just friends, kind of friends was, was the wrong right, term. Right. Yeah, I shouldn't say okay, friends. Let me, these people have never been in my home. Let me put it to you that way. Right, right. Um, but, that you know, you know of. Yes, that I know of, yes. <laughs> yes, well... And I, I think,
0: sorry, just just to, re, uh, to, to clarify a little bit, uh, looking at R versus K in terms of looking at predator versus prey relationships is not... Quite, I think, correct. I think R versus K are two subspecies of of human beings, and it's a fairly well-known biological fact that two subspecies cannot inhabit the same geographical area for long. One of them will displace the other, and I think it's uh, two, like you know, the red squirrel and the grey squirrel, or whatever. And um, I think it's looking at two subspecies, one of whom is going to displace the other. uh, Is probably the better. I just want to sort of clarify that as a better. Yes, yes, yes. But just going back to
4: what I was saying, for just from a purely rational. Calculation standpoint from where I sit, in the event that there was a USSR style collapse, I'm 26 now. So you may as well figure there would be about somewhere between four to five years of extreme economic hardship before things even could get better. Okay? So I look at that and I say, okay, do I sacrifice those years now? And in which actually, I like most libertarians, I'm I'm more prepared than anybody else would be financially for something like that to happen. Or Let's just pretend for a moment that Trump or let's just say that our prayers were answered and Ron Paul got in and everything worked out great. Like all the problems that you described by some miracle didn't happen. Well, that means that I still have to pay Social Security and all this debt all my life. So at this point, it's a dollars and cents thing of, well, that collapse, sure, it wipes out my earning potential for the next five years. But I'm saving all this money on a debt that I never accrued. And I have the sweet satisfaction of knowing that the boomers and other older people get stuck with the bill before they die. And they don't get to screw me one last time before they enter into eternity. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the standpoint that I'm from. I, the, I guess the best way I can say is I really, really love the work that you do. But you're kind of like Batman and I'm the Joker.
0: Yeah, no, I think I see where you're coming from. And I'll tell you, man, this is just... Instinct off the top of my head and has no philosophical value whatsoever, but I think that um I think the world is on the brink of something some big some big change, some big something. I haven't felt this before, and it just sort of hit me over the last day or two doing a bunch of research for various things. It seems like a vast amount of crap is coming together or coming to a head at the same time. I think that there is a panic of non-postponement that is happening to the world. I think the general population is realizing that there is no more road to which the can can be kicked down. And I think this is part of what's driving Donald Trump. I also think this is part of what's driving Bernie Sanders, that people are realizing that we are at the end of what we used to call civilization. I mean, we see this going on in Europe this massive migrant crisis, the biggest shift in human souls since the end of the Second World War, I think that, um, I feel, it's not a thought, I feel that we are close to something big, which is one of the reasons why I am pushing harder on topics that are difficult for people at the moment, like race, culture, freedom club. I'm pushing harder on that because I think that we are um, we are close to a big shift and uh, I think now is the time for us to speak as loudly as possible about where the world needs to go because I think it's going to go one place or the other sooner rather than later
4: and uh, that's one of, just a little personal thing in my life too is with what you talk about that is now my wife is black and it's just one of those things of like with her and her family, they don't fall into the standard narrative that is expected of them, and it's i I, I mean
0: right, you mean the standard media true. narrative of like
4: yes, yes, of course black right. yeah well, I'm white, so of course you know they don't fall into that I mean you
0: know the moment that you said your wife was black, I didn't assume you were black, <laughs> so you know, when I say my wife is Greek, nobody thinks I'm Greek because you know otherwise I'd say we're both Greek.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But it's just one of those things of with, you know, her family and that of it's just the things that I have seen being called, you know, said to them. It's just it's horrible. And it's I just see it as the vast majority of the ills in society are being subsidized and perpetuated by this. Really, I'll just say, you know, you and me both hate with passion is that is fiat money, the dollar and that illusion that it creates. And what I say is that if that goes away, of course, it's going to be like a cold turkey heroin addict. Things will get ugly and bad, but you know you got to stop the poison. And the thing is, I am a huge believer in the peaceful parenting. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, once you really – if you really take the time to analyze what your argument is, aside from just making fun of you for whatever, just ridiculous things, yeah, that's that is the cause of it. But I just look at it as is that this gigantic thing that's been created. What is the federal government? I mean, there's never been a bigger, larger, more evil state in all of history. And that, as long as that is there, producing traumatized people all around the world, whether it's wars in Afghanistan in the Middle East, or through aid and keeping horrible dictators in charge in Africa. You're. I, I, I'm not insulting you when I say this. But you're pissing into a river. It's just it's, – it's not going to be able to overcome those numbers. So I look at it as, too, is, is that you have the end of all those institutions that are creating so many traumatized people through war, welfare, whatever you want. And what's – and uh, I'm sorry, I just blanked out and lost my train of thought there for a moment. But, I mean, you have the end of those institutions – so yeah that that's basically my argument with that.
0: Well, I guess time will tell and um we'll have to see where things go. I mean I um I view uh, any potential wrenching transition with with hope and and with fear and with a tremendous sense of sadness.
4: Oh, absolutely.
3: Uh,
0: yeah. You know, w- w- it's just one of the tragic aspects of certain kinds of human nature that the amount of suffering that has to occur for people to listen to reason is so insane. Uh, people would literally die rather than listen to reason. I mean, what did it take to break, break the growing socialism of the 1930s, the Second World War? And um, what is it going to take? to break the growing socialism of the early 21st century? I don't know. But I do know that it's not going to be pretty no matter what happens. Uh, Even the best case scenario is extraordinarily ugly.
4: And I'll be honest with you, like I say, it scares me. I mean, I I guess the way that I can describe it is, is that, you know, as the state grows more and more, people become poorer and poorer and more desperate, and that's everybody. And I guess I almost feel going back to our animal reference, like this is back in the ice age and like a a woolly mammoth and my feet are caught in a tar pit and I'm sinking in. And right now, as I'm sinking, I I see, you know, uh, saber tooth tigers or wolves coming around. And, you know, as I sink, that's like the growth of the state. I would rather face those things of evil now rather than sit back and avoid it, avoid it, when my, as my position becomes worse and worse. And I mean, I've, I kind of look at the internet as the Gutenberg press, um, printing press, and I personally, and I'm not trying to just flatter you when I say this, I look at you as like Sir Francis Bacon, what he did for science, I believe you've done for philosophy with UPB. And I, yes, I'm not just saying that offhand, I truly understand what that entails,
0: but, I appreciate that. I mean, I, and not to deflect it with a joke, but my—I think my closest, the thing I most have in common with Francis Bacon is much like Bacon, I'm quite well marbled. Uh, that would be my. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it. it's very, very kind.
4: Yeah, but I mean, and it's—it's it's unbelievably sad. It's unbelievably scary. But I mean, personally, like I say, I mean, it's. I I really, 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 really wish that my grandfather's generation and the generations before then hadn't knuckled under like they did. But the cold, simple fact is is that we are facing a giant shit sandwich and everybody's going to have to take a bite.
0: Uh, I mean, there was this... um, I can't help but sort of notice the psyops that are going on these days. So I saw on Drudge Report... There's a picture of a drowned two-year-old Syrian boy from one of these refugee ships. And, of course, this is um, a way of provoking a sort of cave response sympathy. And uh, you see Donald Trump is speaking out against immigration. And so now you have to, of course, say that anybody who speaks out in immigration doesn't care about two-year-old drowned Syrian boys. And so you have to show this body, and you have to show this body being carried. And therefore, anybody who is against these waves of immigrants from anti-European cultures coming into Europe, well, you must obviously want the uh, Syrian boy to be drowned.
4: And don't you dare say that those Arab nations that are rich with oil money should take one refugee. Don't you dare say that, because then, well... I haven't thought
0: of an epithet yet, but fuck you. Oh, well, I got to tell you, I mean, this whole thing, you know, Jesus Christ. I I could go on and on about this stuff, but um, the degree to which Europe is just hated and European culture is just hated around the world until people need something. And then it's like, okay, I know that they're racists. I know that they're xenophobic. I know that they're Nazis. I know that they were colonialists. I know that the white man is evil. But shit, man, I'm really in trouble. i got to get to a white person's country. <laughs> and it's just like, are you kidding me? I mean, come on. At least apologize. <laughs> you know? Hey, you know, Steph, you're a total asshole. I hate your guts. Oh, listen, man, I'm out of money. Can I borrow some money? I, I really need some. Actually, just give me some money. I don't even want to borrow it. Just, I'm, I'm going to come live in your house. And it's like, no, no, remember I'm a big asshole that you don't want to have anything to do with. So now that you're in trouble, don't come running to me. But this is how insane the West is, where nobody's even saying, well, wait a second. I mean, these there's Middle Eastern countries that are killing Christians and, and hate the West and the great Satan. And it's like, then, the fuck do these people want to come to the great Satan? <laughs> Make up your minds, people.
4: At the um, but the uh, can I play devil's advocate on that real fast? Yeah. I can understand, too, why, especially in areas in the Middle East, why they can be a little bit uh, not exactly keen on Western culture because they're being bombed by its governments but they but of course nobody ever not even the western people say well no that's our government not us because of course no they do because a there's, a,
0: there's a huge anti-war movement mm-hmm. in the west particularly before Iraq I mean before the invasion of Iraq in 03 that was the biggest anti-war movement that the world has well, ever seen until Obama
4: was elected then that went away
0: oh yeah and then the prince of peace gets to air bomb whoever the hell he points his uh, crooked fingers at mm-hmm. but um, but those people the don't people, people they don't they understand bombs, that the the, the dead Syrian boy in the in the waters. He is the product of statism. He is the product of statism. So why, of course, there is the push and a pull for this kind of migration, and the push is that the cultures are disintegrating into internecine violence, right? And that's true in Syria and Libya and Afghanistan and uh, lots of Kosovo, lots of these countries, right? The the the, the countries are collapsing. And why are the countries collapsing? Because, you see, America wanted to bring freedom to the Middle East. (laughs) See, regime change. Don't you know, once we kill Saddam Hussein, it'll be great. Don't you remember those wonderful pictures of people in Iraq and Afghanistan showing their inky fingers because they got to vote, therefore freedom? So the fact is, of course... You decapitate this monster, it just grows two heads. It's a hydra, right? You get rid of one dictator. A dictator is a reflection of people's childhoods. And destroying the dictator does not destroy people's childhoods. It does not destroy their terror and need to Stockholm Syndrome with brutal authority figures. It just means that the one you know who's stabilized things is gone. And then a new and probably more terrifying authority figure will take the place of the one you destroyed because the authority figure is required by the trauma of people's childhoods. That's number one. So the fact is that people only believed in the Middle Eastern missions, and they only continue to believe in the Middle Eastern missions of the United States because of fiat currency, because they do not have to pay for the wars that they support, and patriotism that is subsidized by counterfeiting is the cheapest form of moral pseudo-heroism in the world. So you know, people said, "Oh, let's go, let's go invade Iraq." It's like, okay, would you like a bill for fifty thousand dollars if you support the war? Whoa! Hey, <laughs> let's look at this more critically now. But no, it's like people supported the uh, the welfare state because they didn't have to pay for it, and people supported social security because they didn't have to pay for it. And now and people I have support to pay Medicare. For it. Yeah, now and now you have to pay for it, and you won't even get it. And, that's and why so I want it's, to see it go away. And, but it's only fiat currency that allows for these wars of adventure and horror in the Middle East because when, everything, when something is free the only reason you'd oppose it is if you're some weird pacifist you know, if war is both virtuous and free, you would only oppose it if you just want to let Genghis Khan rape your poodle you're just a pussy right? so, so it's, like, it's like well if healthcare is free you know, like this comments I got this burning, only an asshole would not want American, Americans to get healthcare for free it's like, yes I want to take away everyone's oxygen because I'm just that evil (laughs) because it's free, right? It's like, hey, if you want to give healthcare for free, go become a doctor and give your services away for nothing. And so it's fiat currency that has produced all of these wars, and it is fiat currency that is producing all of these immigrants because the immigrants, people's taxes aren't going up proportionate to the number of immigrants coming into the country because it's all being paid for through fiat currency. So fiat currency produces the wars which arm and destabilize the regions and decapitate the existing dictatorships where you get a hydra of new dictatorships. Fiat currency arms the war that destroys the host countries and fiat currency creates the incentives to move that draws people across borders. So it is fiat currency that is responsible for the two-year-old Syrian boy dead in the surf. And everyone thinks that what we should do, you see, is we should bring more immigrants in which will be paid for by more fiat currency and what that will do is mean that more fiat currency is available to start wars and more fiat currency is available to pay for welfare what that means is that more people will come across these waters which means that where you had one Syrian boy drowning you will soon have ten or a hundred or a thousand and people will not understand that relationship and they'll say well what we need is more generosity because apparently there's just no amount of bodies that make people wake up to the evils they support,
4: and that's why I want Sanders opposed to Trump. Because let's say that Trump, Trump, let's say that Trump gets in with his tax plan and he makes things better. Let's say he puts more money into people's pocket. Let's say that for whatever reason he's able to hold off, make make the system last another eight to ten years. Let's just say that. Well, then it's like you're saying now we're having more dead Syrian boys now, as, as opposed to if Bernie Sanders gets in there and collapses the system and we have ten Syrian boys within a day. Whereas with Trump gets in there, now we have two dead Syrian boys a day, but over 10 months. Hmm. So. Well,
3: we'll it's a, see. It,
4: it's the, we'll the band aid question. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just arguing as in it would be better. Yeah, I, I'm. Of course, you and I have no control over any of that. You know, one of us can't vote and the other one won't. So, you know, it doesn't matter. I can, matter. yeah.
0: I I can see the argument uh, for it. Um, to me, uh, you know, I I you don't, you're not a dad yet, right? God,
4: I'm uh we me and my wife are trying right now. We, uh, yeah we just, okay you know, we just got married. So, you know, it's we two which you think it perhaps
0: imminent, right? But uh, as a dad, and just us, you know, I I hate to pull the D card, but you know, as a dad, uh I'm I'm okay with another 8 to 10 years of stability. Cuz then my daughter's an adult almost. But so, that All right, man. Crazy. I got to move on to the last okay. caller, but I really right. appreciate the call. And thanks so much for uh, complying with the request for non-interruptions. That was much better. I really appreciate that.
4: I just, yeah, I just needed to settle down. Thank you for your time.
0: Thanks, man.
1: All right. Thanks, Josh. All right. Up last today is Scott, who's been on the show before uh, from one of our more noteworthy calls, An Atheist Apologizes to Christians, that show, if you remember it. And uh, Scott wrote in... in that I've been processing through the stages of grief that people go through with a loss. I was very depressed and sad for a while as I realized that my religion was not true at all and the consequences of that realization. Now as I am figuring out what it means for me and my family to not believe, while not believe, well, they do, I am angry at the very real situation created by nonsense stories. When I hear the faith-first mindset, really a confirmation-seeking mindset that ignores the origination of a claim and demands belief first, I am disgusted at how easy it is to trick intelligent people. I am angry that my religion has been such an abuser-enabling, self-serving organization, only speaking out against abuse with vague criticisms against either everyone or no one due to their vagueness. I am angry that within a year of my 40th birthday, 16 years married, with teen and younger children having to navigate such a heart- wrenching situation that it is ultimately about nonsensical stories, bogus claims, and original corruption? How do I channel this anger to keep it from seeping into my relationships? How do I hold back anger against a religion I feel so betrayed by to protect the relationships with those who still believe?
0: Those are very tough questions, man. I, uh, I very much sympathize with that. I very much sympathize with that. And, I mean, I, through no particular virtue of my own, I just, I happened to end up in a non-religious environment by the time I became an adult. Uh, by the, so, I mean, I could certainly imagine the difficulties. And um, I, was, uh, I was interested in a Christian woman, at uh, once, uh, we uh, we almost dated, but uh, we we didn't, um, you know, basically because I said that uh, we couldn't teach our children. We didn't even date. We hadn't even kissed. We're having these conversations, right, where I'm saying, well, I'm an atheist. And she was like, that's fine. My, my dad's an atheist. And I said, yeah, but, you know, if we have kids, then they have to be able to choose religion when they get older. It can't be told as true to them when they're young. And she wouldn't go for that, right? And so we ended up not even... Having a date, <laughs> not even uh, having uh, a kiss, but um, once you're already married right am I am I right in assuming that your your wife and and uh, your wife is religious
3: yeah,
5: and you can imagine having that same conversation with her to somebody you've been married to for nearly sixteen years it's <sighs> and there's there's so much wrapped up in it too i mean the biggest thing for the, the biggest thing for me is that i'm realizing all this about my religion at the same time that i'm also realizing like how unbelievably sexist my upbringing was against me as a boy and against me as a man at the same time and i mean my wife is very very nice on the on both of these aspects my wife is really trying hard and but it's it's a lot of pressure and at the same time i'm like i'm recognizing like all these little pain points when i was growing up these little moments where they where they flip stories on their head and turn the man into a villain hmm. That stuff, like the more that I hear it, the angrier I get. I hear it. I hear it so often. It's like this bell ringing. And 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 this is and and this is very counterintuitive to people because people tend to think of Mormonism as being very male centric because of the whole priesthood thing and uh, you know women women cannot uh, have High up, high uh, cannot have the priesthood. Therefore, they can't be like the leader of the church and all that stuff. But people don't understand that the priesthood against us peons is used as a way to get us to submit. And I see this so much. I see it everywhere. Like. When I, when I was a kid, I remember being told that the reason why men had the priesthood and women didn't have the priesthood was because women were naturally closer to God and men needed the priesthood for that.
0: Right. Right. And
5: I was just like, you know, and now that I look back on that, I'm just like, I'm disgusted that they would tell somebody like that, that they would tell me of all people. I I grew up in a, in a just absolute um, crazy woman controlled household. And they're, and they're telling me who's had.
0: Oh,
1: hello.
5: God about her. Sorry. Go
1: ahead. I think we lost, uh, the last part of what you were saying, Scott, you cut out for a second.
5: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, <laughs> where was I? I was just saying that what they what they would say to me, growing up in this environment, was that there was something wrong with me, and there was some and and, and this person who was this this selfish character. That there was that that she was naturally closer to God, and that I needed I needed priesthood I needed something I needed something to help me to be closer to God because I was not naturally closer to God. Right. And I and 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 the other thing about my are
0: you are you saying that that a movement has somehow succeeded by appealing to female vanity?
5: (laughs) Yeah. Wait a minute.
0: (laughs) I, unprecedented I never, I
5: never knew. I've this. never heard
0: of such a thing how could this be possible
5: right well I mean I mean man. next
0: thing you know they'll be appealing to men's lust <laughs> I mean you never know
5: well Gosh. and the, the, the thing is is that I have a unique perspective on the church I have a unique perspective on public schools like by the time so you know Mormon missionaries when I was growing up it's changed now but when, they, when I was growing up they leave on missions at age 19 M- men do now men are required to go on a mission, or at least it's a commandment. Whereas women have the option, and they don't have to go if they don't. You know, it's not a commandment for them. And wait, I'm
0: and, wait. Hang on, but and, unless you pull the book of male privilege, right? Then you're okay, because then you're supposed to have all these advantages. I'm just kidding. Go on.
5: Uh, yeah. Right. But like, so by an age nineteen, I'm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaving on a mission somewhat later than most guys do. Um, you know, it's almost by 20 that I'm getting ready to go. And, and, uh, I was by, by the time that I left on my mission, I had lived in, uh, 18 houses with my family and in three different States and, you know, every other move about four to 500 miles away and i have seen every side of my religion i've seen it i've seen it in foreign countries i served a mission in brazil i've seen it in you know on the east coast i've uh, seen it all over and so people can't just say to me well that was just the local area and the way that that particular that was his imperfection and that's not the rest of us because that doesn't work for me. That bounces right off of me because I saw it way differently. I mean, I, I saw the same kind of, it was this, just this, it's the ultimate me plus this God stuff. Right. And they, I mean, they even say that they even say that a marriage is a covenant between you, your wife and God.
0: Yeah, apparently uh, when it comes to marriage, God likes to watch. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need
5: oh, man, that it, voyeur stuff, right man. There. God is the ultimate voyeur. It is... Because how on earth is he supposed to record all the things you ever do with yourself? It's just... <laughs> I mean, it's... The, these things that people just don't think through. And... And what the, the position that they put both... I mean, in this case, the whole covenant between man and woman and God, that is both of them being in a me-plus situation. But the men have the the extra pressure of being you plus the priesthood plus this so-called covenant. And it's just, I look back on this and I, and I see, like, all this pressure and I'm dealing with a particular, you know, I've, I've I ha- I have to thank you for all the the talk about therapy. I've really I I stopped, you know, going to one bad therapist and then and then stopping for 2 years. You know, I stopped letting that be an excuse and started going to therapy on a regular basis. And, you know, I have extra issues on top of all this stuff things that are very very difficult uh bullying and i don't want to go into everything but you know a lot of bullying and constantly being separated every one of these moves i'm I'm having my friends stripped away from me and i have no control over this and uh and at the same time they're just saying no it's got to be you plus it's got to be you plus And I just look at back on, I'm looking back on my life as I, as I see that particular mindset and how like damaging that was to me for people to tell me that I, that I, that I wasn't that I wasn't happy because I just wasn't, I wasn't enough plus.
0: Right. you know, and I have a
5: lot of anxiety issues and it's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to climb out of now that I'm much more aware of, you know, kind of how my past and my present and everything kind of intertwine and fear about the future and (laughs) fear about Donald Trump and, (laughs) and whoever, you know, (laughs) whatever that is. But,
0: and are you tempted by um, uh, hatred? I'm not saying this bad. I, I, I'm not judging the emotion. I'm just really trying to, because you said you want to talk about feelings, and you're giving me a lot of analysis. And yeah, I just, well, are, you, I'm an are you, like, when you look at your history and what you were told and the degree of falsehoods you were given and the degree, you know, you really put it beautifully, and you said the amount of problems caused by false stories, by silly stories. Yeah. What is your relation, your emotional relationship to the people who told you all of this stuff?
5: Uh, the hardest thing for me, um, I try not to get into it. Now I'm I'm an analysis junkie. I actually do no, that. No, no,
0: yeah. Forget the analysis. You can do that. Yeah, with yeah. anyone, right? But yeah, right. What are your feelings about I, uh, what you were told?
5: The moments that really tipped me, like anything could, all the metaphysical stuff never worked on me as a faithful person. It was,
0: it wasn't. Okay, and I'm asking for your feelings. You (laughs) cannot give me the word metaphysical. That is not a feeling. Try it again. How do you feel about it? what you were recognizing
2: that my that
5: most of the people who I grew up with did not love me and that the church was telling me that they did and that they had an eternal nature and that they're just imperfect and someday they'll have a better view and a higher view and but but in the present with no more excuses for eternity and whatever but just recognizing that objectively my my parents did not love me that leaders of the church were more interested in at the age of 14 whether I was masturbating then the sad look on my face hmm. I'm sitting there with I was a really late bloomer I played with toys until I was like 12 or 13 years old um and I didn't know I mean I knew about it but I didn't I didn't, you know, know it in the Latin Scott. sense. And uh Scott. I didn't
1: <laughs> Scott. Scott.
5: Yeah. Where did we go? We went back to analysis. Thank you. Go yeah.
0: back. Come back.
5: Come I just back. I'm sitting there. I look back on these moments where people could have done something. Right. They could have people could have seen what was happening in that household. And they didn't do anything. And this was at, and this was at, uh, Congregation after congregation across the country. And nobody did anything. When you, I kept on getting these Christmas presents from my folks when I got older of old family videos and And, uh, you know, some new format would come out and they'd give me the whole set again. And I'd have to destroy the set again. Mm. Every time. Because it wasn't a Christmas present for me to look back on my face. In most of those videos. they see they see someone age six struggling with the alphabet and they just think it's cute that he's trying, but I know what was in my heart at that moment.
0: And what was in your heart at that moment?
5: No matter what I did, I got no attention from anyone. And I was shut in. And people knew this. This was not a case of me being homeschooled and nobody knows about what's going on inside that household. People at church could see us. People at these Myriad of public schools that I went to could see my face. They could see what I see in those videos. So when I now have the Internet at my at my beck and call, and I can now go back through all those old talks that were coming from church leaders in that time, What are they saying about, here we are, we're we're talking about an, an institution that is there to help the family morally. This is their job. This isn't like a side job for them. This is the purpose of, this is their stated goal. And they don't say anything about it. There are two talks in the 1980s when I'm growing up that talk about it, and they're all like, well, maybe, kind of, sort of, possibly it's a bad thing, and then nothing – no one ever says anything definitive about it, and that's the end of it. And there's no – there's no there's no Mormon.org for you to go up and look up these talks later on and ruminate on them or anything. They're out of sight and out of mind, And 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 – what were these people doing? They're focusing on whether or not a light-blooming 14year-old is maybe possibly masturbating or whatever else they focused on. It's just endless distractions. How on earth? Am I supposed to sit in a room with all positive advice? Well, you got to read scriptures with your family. You've got to, you've got to pray as a family. You got to do all that stuff. How the heck am I supposed to to do that when the people who just smacked me upside the head are right there praying with me? and telling me that I got to pray to be closer to God when this person just whipped me with a belt or whatever. So you go back to church. You've got I've got that look on my face. I see it in those old videos. And no one says anything. And here I am coming up on my middle age and I can see that look on my face. And I can see that look on other people's faces as they're going to my church. And here, this is this is not a sideshow. This is this is the cause. I mean, this is the thing that they're so worried about. This is this is uh, you know how are we going to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ? And what are they doing? They're saying nothing. Nothing of any consequence or definition is just vagueness. So you're you're either on the side of the guy who will never yell, never raise a hand, never do anything, right up until molestation, everyone's the same. It's this massive range of vagueness that means nothing.
0: Nothing can be verified. That's the whole point, right?
5: Yeah. And the second that you point out a, a fallacy, the second that you point out a something that's nonsense about a story, a contradiction, whatever, everyone just says, well, it's amazing that God had to work with such imperfect people.
0: Yeah. God, you know, you can only be as good as your clay.
5: Right. You know, and, and the stuff that really ticks me off is Now that now the Mormon church is having to respond. Because they they can't control the news anymore. They can't control what gets out there about Joseph Smith or whoever. Right. So they're having to respond and they're finally doing it and they're finally but it's all just more vagueness. It's like, hey, we already said something about that. And you know, that's just, you know, you married a 14 year old because that's just how things were back then, and all this I mean, just just total garbage it's just dismissiveness and it's amazing that God has to work with such imperfect people sort of crap right and it's like well at what point does the perfection like this the imperfection just dis- finally disqualify you from this position at what point do you cease being my moral instructor because 30% of your wives are teenagers?
0: Right.
5: And it makes me angry that, that I had to go and find the names of these ladies, for example, somewhere else. And the second that I do that, I have immediately have all these stereotypes of oh, you're going to the wrong I mean this is really happens in the Mormon Church. Oh, you're going to the wrong places that no, is
0: it true or not?
5: Right. It's like no here I am, Mr. Analysis. I do it for a living, so I find all the all the names, find what their ages are, roll them into a spreadsheet like I do with like user testing or something like that. And then, and then break them down. And what do I find? I find this decaying monster of a person. He's not. You know, and I didn't go to some anti-Mormon website that they're so afraid of me getting the wrong spirit or ghost or whatever. I'm just looking at the facts that they told me about in their own article. Okay, what are the names of these 34 women? Holy shit. Everyone talks about polygamy in the Mormon church. Do they ever talk about polyamory? Do they ever even talk about that even being a thing? It is just all this stuff that is hidden from you. You have like revelation after revelation coming out in the news, pictures of some artifact from back in the day that most people didn't even know even existed, didn't even know that was part of our mythology. Everyone's like, what the hell is that little rock thing or whatever? And what I want want to know is it's 2015 people. This is a prophetic religion. This is a religion led by people who are supposed to know the trends before they happen. And they can't and they can't see that maybe someday somebody is going to ask about these weird ideas that you weren't even talking about until you were having to talk about them. Right. and then they say well that's probably the reason why you're losing your faith is cuz you're asking all these questions. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, hell yes it is. that's, God damn that's why it. you
0: you know you're, you're losing your illiteracy because you're reading stuff.
5: Right. Yes. The thing is is that like I still feel the same way that I felt in the last call though I'm not as not as deep I'm more in the anger stage than in the depressed stage, but I still, but I still need a place to raise my kids, where they're going to be surrounded by the young girls that are that are going to be a good a, a good community for them, not to engage in things that are going to destroy them.
0: But that's that's more the I mean, outside of living in some godforsaken ghetto, that's you as a parent will keep them safe from that. Right.
5: Well, and I still have to, I'm still in a by-faith relationship now. And my wife never saw this coming. And I have to deal with that feeling of her her very legitimate feeling that she, she doesn't understand where I'm coming from. And she has to go through the same stuff that I had to go through. And it was hard for me to go through it and it's still hard for me to go through it and you know to her i think very legitimately feels like feels like a betrayal of some kind right and i've had to i've i've had to explain many times that i damn it i keep on getting into the analysis i'm just
0: no, what I, I get the anger. I get the anger for sure.
5: Like for me, like belief is involuntary. It's like forgiveness. In fact, it's a, forgiveness is a subset of belief. Belief is, belief, How I, I, I cannot choose to believe in this stuff. It's too late. Right. I did not close my eyes enough to believe in this anymore. And I've always been inquisitive, but on this issue I could not i could never dig into it. I always, you know, falling back on the confirmation bias because it was so easy because it, confirmation bias did not threaten everything that I hold dear. But I, I still go back to this to these experiences growing up and how this people sat there and watched it happen and i and i i, I can't i look back on some of these people i can see their faces I would go on camping trips with some of these people as a Boy Scout or whatever. I I was not terribly active in Boy Scouts, but I I saw these people a lot. And these people saw me a lot, and they, they just didn't do anything. And it's just like, well, what the hell good are you? What good are you? just, I mean, I was, I was despairing when I was an early teen, and then I was angry as hell when I was an older teen, and showing all the signs of anger, all the signs of Getting older and realizing that all the adults around you are not doing anything. But I don't have the language for this. I don't I don't I, I, I can't express the anger. So it comes out and long hair it comes out and believe it or not, I, I had a mouth like a sailor, it comes out in every kind of every, every kind of way except for the way that it should come out, and that is, that is a responsible adult beckoning it out of you and asking you, what the hell is going on? What is the matter?
0: And Scott, can I ask you a question? Would you like some freedom from that anger? Because I can offer you that if you like. I don't want to say your anger is bad or anything like that, but your original question was, what can I do about it? And I can free you from the anger if you want. And now, if you're still working through it and you want to keep doing it, I don't want to you know, interrupt that. But if you want to put it behind you, you can't.
2: I'd really
5: like to know that. Are you ready? Yeah.
0: This is going to be me talking a bit. Sure. Please feel free to interrupt, <laughs> Okay. But, uh, but you might want to get comfortable. Are you ready? Yes. A huge amount of human misery and anger arises from a basic misperception that people have about the world. And by misperception, I mean they're, lied to. <laughs> they're yeah. lied to. And there is no institution that will ever have any fundamental interest in you except as a profit center. That sounds like very abstract, And so let, so let me be clear on that. We all understand this with business, right? You know, you go to Starbucks, it's like, we're a family. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not, because if you work at Starbucks, their only real interest in you is as a profit center. There's nothing wrong with that, because it's a business. That's their job. I mean... Steven Spielberg has a lot of friends, I'm sure. But he doesn't cast his friends to be leads in his movies unless they happen to be very bankable actors, right? I mean, he's got friends who aren't Tom Hanks. He doesn't put them in his movies. Because with regards to making movies, the interest that the studio has in Tom Hanks or Steven Spielberg or Chris Pratt or whoever is as a profit center. If you go and work at some corporation, you have to make the money. And that doesn't mean you can't chit-chat with people and you can't play Nerf ball and you can't play (laughs) Quake (laughs) on their servers. But fundamentally, their only interest in you is as a profit center. Now, do you see where I'm going with this? In your church, their only fundamental relationship with you is as a prophet center. And I guarantee you, Scott, if you look back over your history, your eyes turned dull. And your mouth grew resentful because it was dawning on you that their profit center, the driver of their profits, is the pretense of love. You know, whenever a business says, we're like a family, what they're usually saying is, we want you to accept lower wages by appealing to your sentimentality, and whatever dysfunction in your family left you to still think that we could be a family, despite the fact that we're a business. Right, So you were hearing all of these stories and all of these perspectives. Don't go to that website because that interferes with you as a profit center. Don't ask these questions because that interferes with you as a profit center for us. <laughs> It's a wonderful irony of language that at the center of every religion is a prophet.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. I don't think it's even accidental <laughs> that the word is used as a homonym. This church was an institution. As an institution, it has no interest in you except as a profit center. And everything that is said to you is fundamentally driven by that fact. Everything that is said to you is fundamentally driven by that fact. Now, families and friendships, they're not profit centrists from a financial standpoint. extended families, grandparents, charging you rent and charging you for meals and you don't have to buy their time. You don't have to give them a tithe. So wherever there's not money changing hands, the fundamental relationship is not as a profit opportunity. But whenever there's money changing hands, then the fundamental relationship that the institution has with you is as a profit center. And the fact that people delude, that they're lied to about it and then they continue to delude themselves about it is remarkable. And I think that people's unhealthy relationship to the free market has to do with the fact that the free market won't give them the love they didn't get from their parents, but expects to deal with them as mutually advantageous, dry calculations of mutual utility, as the phrase goes. It's not about feelings, it's about profit. And now that's fine if you've grown up with a loving family and you have a loving family and you have loving friends and you have great relationships then you're not shocked and appalled by the fact that there's a profit motive at Starbucks. <laughs> but if you grow up without that love, then you're hungry for it. Um, you yeah, want I, that love.
5: I was a Marxist when I was a 20-something.
0: You want that love. Yeah. You want the love of the proletariat and the collective. Yeah. And you want the love of your fellow travelers. Yeah. You know, why, why do people care so much about Bernie Sanders? Because Bernie Sanders will give them what their parents didn't. Children should get free stuff. Children raised in dysfunctional environments did not get the physical, emotional, spiritual nutrition and services from their parents. And so when some kindly old dodger comes along, I meant to say codger, but dodger, artful dodger is probably better. When some kindly old codger comes along and says, you should get some free school. You know, I'm here for you. I'm going to get you some free health care because you deserve it. I'm going to make sure that you get paid well. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Now, to somebody with real, loving, kind, supportive parents and friends, they're like, ew, (laughs) get away from me. I have that already. Thank you. I don't need some old creepy guy from Washington to offer it to me. I'm okay. Thanks. Thanks. You know, it's it's like if you're a millionaire sitting at Starbucks, and you got an empty coffee cup, and someone comes along and puts a dollar into it because they think you're begging, begging, you're like, thanks, <laughs> please take the, take the dollar back. I'm okay. But if you are in fact hungry, somebody gives you a couple of bucks, you're grateful because you're you're hungry. You're, you need. And so people who grow up without love and support and care and concern from their parents then end up with these unholy relationships of need and manipulation and pathology with institutions. And this is why people get so angry at corporations. Corporations just a legal construct. It's you know, just a bunch of people. Oh, they're evil. Predatory, sociopathic. Ah! Why? Because people have this hunger for their institutions, their countries, their political parties, even their bands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something as inconsequential as icing this way, not that way. Massive Marxist loyalty. To Green Day at all times. And so, the way to, for me at least, and I I think, you know, I made some bold claims at the beginning of this little speech, so hopefully I can uh, promise a landing and fulfill. But we do not get angry at the lion for being a lion. Now, you've got a lot of anger at the church. I get it. I understand it. And I really sympathize. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that anger. But it's like getting angry at Starbucks for having a profit motive. It's only because you separate that particular institution from another money-making institution that you are angry and outraged. Anger fundamentally is driven by a perception of hypocrisy. I'm not saying that it's not hypocritical what you are facing. It is. But when you pierce through, the, the hypocrisy is just part of the profit motive. They can't say to you, we're going to sell you these silly stories as true so that you'll give us 10% of your income and two years of your life and you'll let your children make sure that they become part of this and you'll marry people within the faith and you'll come and do this and you'll provide this. And They can't say that, right? That's a very expensive fairy tale book, right? I mean, I can pick up Aesop's Fables for a buck 99 on Kobo. I don't have to give it 10% of my income for the rest of my life and then go and serve the ghost of Aesop for 2 years and right? I mean, that's that's a very expensive book of book of stories, right? You know, it's like 8 bucks for the trilogy of Lord of the Rings. They do not require your foreskin to buy it. But it, so I mean, the the anger is the hypocrisy. The how could you, right? How could you? How could you? What good were these people? You say? How could they have done this to me? How could they have misrepresented to me? How could they have lied to me? But the the lies are part of the sales pitch in a lot of places. In a lot of places. I mean, come on. <laughs> you ever go shopping for underwear? You know, you've got those torsos.
5: No, not in the wild. <laughs> okay, sorry, you
0: sorry. might want to go shopping for. <laughs> I know you're married, no, but a little fresh underwear can do wonders. No,
5: no, you're um, talking. You're talking to a Mormon. I don't go shopping for underwear as much as. Me. Oh, that's
0: right. I'm sorry. Yours is delivered by cherifin, by seraphim and cherubin. <laughs> so you get your underwear express holy rollers. But for those mortals like I uh, who go shopping for underwear. You go to shopping, and they're these like, this is the last time they'll ever be this white. <laughs> and you get these, these packages of underwear, and they're these torsos, these Greek god torsos of guys who've done twelve billion sit-ups and haven't drunk a cup of water in four days. You know the, these torsos. You know, of course, that you're gonna put, you're gonna put the uh, the underwear on when you get home, and you're gonna wear it around, and you know you're not gonna look like that guy. He's not gonna. You're not gonna look like those torsos. And um, a few more folds in my ripples. <laughs> and you, you just know. it's not. It's, <laughs> you're going to get that little bit of back fat. You know, I'm pushing 49 now. <laughs> you're getting a little bit of back fat going over the elastic on the back. And, you know, it's just tiny muffin top. It's just the way it goes, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you pick up the glasses. You're not going to look like the model who doesn't need glasses, who put the glasses on to sell the glasses, right? You, you pick up this beer and you're not going to be at a pool with a bunch of Hawaiian Tropic bikini models. <laughs> you're probably going to be cracking it open while watching Orange is the New Black at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, right? And so there's a lot of deception in in all of this kind of kind of advertising. They're selling you the image. They're selling you things that you can't possibly get from the thing itself. And... The the institution you grew up in, it's, it's only there because it's profitable. It's only there because it's profitable. And what they did was they wanted to ensure that you would remain a good tithe livestock your whole life long. They're doing what institutions do. They're a corporation looking for profit, and the way that they look for profit is to tell you stories that aren't true as if they're true. Just like the diet industry. Hey, you know, if you buy this book, you can go from this picture to this picture. Well, you really can't. Because only about 2% of people lose weight and keep it off. And I think those are people who have a leg amputated. I don't know. (laughs) But only 2%. So no, you can't. Or they show you some woman who's like 60 or 70 pounds overweight, and then she slims down. They don't show her belly hanging over her groin like some old plastic bag with water in it. They don't show you the corrective surgery to scoop up all that extra flab, because when you lose weight, your skin is still stretched out. And people lose weight and they say, oh my God, I look even worse Having lost this weight, unless I want to go in for really expensive and painful surgery that's still going to leave me heavily scarred. You know, once you've really, I don't mean a lot, I don't mean, once you've gained a lot of weight, you're doomed. You will never, ever, ever, ever look like someone who didn't gain a lot of weight. You will never, ever, ever look like someone who didn't gain a lot of weight. That's a fact. Doesn't mean you shouldn't lose the weight. It's better for you. But you're not going to look like the after shot in that bikini. There was some woman who lost weight on some diet and she posted pictures of herself. She got in trouble. Because she posted pictures without, I don't know, whatever they tie knots of back fat behind these women to pull that extra stomach, stomach skin back. She got in trouble with the company. You can't post this picture. Put a, put a shirt on for God's sakes. People can't know that this is what you look like when you lose weight after you've been significantly overweight. You look like half a collapsed tent. I'm not trying to be mean. This is just the reality. Now, you can, of course, and I'm not trying to compare a very serious epistemological and metaphysical issue that you had with this church to just sim- something as simple as diet and I'm just giving you the analogy. So if you if you understand that the diet industry is selling a lie, not that you can't ever lose weight, you can, although most people most people put on more weight after they try and lose it. The whole point is you gotta prevent. But that's a topic for another time. But they're, they're telling you, you can be this woman who's 50 pounds overweight or 60 pounds overweight, then you can lose this weight and you can look like this gymnast. No, you can't. If it's been a long time in particular, her skin is stretched. I'm not talking pregnancy, I'm going to pull. And that's the nature. You can get angry at the diet industry, but that's their job. If they gave you accurate before and after photos, they'd actually do a lot better for people because people would then say, oh, so if I gain a lot of weight and then I lose a lot of weight, I really am not going to look very good and I'm going to have all this extra skin hanging around and it's whatever, right? Then people would, like that would actually be, people then wouldn't be as cavalier about gaining weight. Oh, I'll just lose it later. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Look at the pictures. Seriously. But given that there are a lot of people out there who are overweight and you can make a lot of money selling them the illusion of getting thin and looking good, you know, people will profit from delusion. And there is great profit in delusion. Because delusion, unlike truth, needs constant maintenance. Delusion is like some screechy supermodel girlfriend. You can't ever bring it enough diamonds. (laughs) And so the institution that you had viewed you as a profit center and it was not being hypocritical. It was being true to the nature of the institution. It was feeding on lies and it was provoking lies in order to feed on lies. It's like the Catholic concept of original sin. Can't go to a happy man and say, I'm going to save you. He'll say, from what? You have to damn someone in order to save them. You have to infect someone with an imaginary illness in order to sell them a cure. Is it hypocritical? Is it this? Well, I guess you can look at it that way. That's going to make you angry. But you can only really get angry at hypocrisy if there was some other alternative. But there's no possibility for the institution you describe to start off by telling the truth. It wouldn't be there if it did. So the fact that it is there means that you can get angry at it if you want, but that makes about as much sense as people putting thin people on the cover of a diet book. Is it perfectly accurate? Is it manipulative? Yeah, but if they put the actual after pictures of someone who was significantly overweight having lost weight, people would not buy that book because people want the delusion that they can lose weight and look great. Now, the difference is that they're creating through through because it's multi generational. They're creating the delusions in the kids that result in them being profit centrist but that's the most efficient way for them to develop profit centrist. It is cheaper to breed a cow than to buy a cow. And in this case, it's cheaper to breed a cow to a domesticated cow than it is to go and capture some crazy bull in the wild. Indoctrination is easier, far easier than conversion when it comes to religion. So children are the profit centers that are necessary for these institutions to continue. It's like me, if I get really angry at public school teachers for not telling me the truth about the state, well, of course they're not going to tell me the truth about the state. It's impossible that they could. There's no way that public school would continue to exist if they did. I can get really angry about it, but that literally is like getting angry at a dog for barking. Eh, We can get frustrated and we get exasperated and so on, but anybody who's chronically angry at dogs for barking is angry against reality. And the reality is this is a very efficient way to make money. To lie to people, to threaten them with eternal punishment, to offer them eternal reward, to make them feel part of a special in-group, and to threaten ostracism from those around them should they ever question the belief. That is incredibly efficient when it comes to making money. It is an institution that cares about your money and invents a soul to have something to sell. It is doing what institutions do. It is doing what Starbucks does. doesn't make it right. But in terms of chronic anger, the chronic anger comes from thinking it should somehow be otherwise, and it was really bad that it was the way it was, and how come they didn't do it different, and how come they didn't do it better? Well, how come they don't put droopy stomach fat on the after pictures in ads for diet pills? Of course they don't.
5: How come Mormons don't tell you about everything all the ages of all the young girls married to to the founding prophets of the church. Why? Because, of course, they're not going to tell you that. And they're going to give up the church over it.
0: Right. Yeah. So is it it hypocritical? I have a tough time saying that it is. I have a tough time. It's only rhetorically
2: hypocritical.
0: Yeah, and it's okay. It's kind of hypocritical, but you know.
5: But Do yeah, beer
0: commercials right. show you pictures of people who haven't had a beer in a year? Of course they do. Because, you know, people who drink a lot of beer have beer guts in general. Do beer commercials show you people who have beer guts or people who don't have more than three alcoholic drinks every year? Right? Do, people, do, do beer commercials show you the complete opposite of what a beer drinker looks like in general? Of course they do. Is that hypocritical? Should we spend our lives being angry at it? That is the nature of That's what they do. And it's mostly because people believe that crap. But I don't know that... And, and, and this is not supposed to say that your anger is unjust, your anger is wrong, or your anger is bad. I don't mean any of that. But what I mean is that it was absolutely inevitable. It could not have ever been any other possible way. It's tragic that you were caught up in it. But chronic anger for the inevitable is something to be outgrown.
5: And I've already been through this process with politics and I've already been through this process with, with uh, certain people in my life that I just, you know, I give up on. Yeah.
0: A politician didn't keep his word.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And the moment you stop being angry at it is the moment that you're free of it because you've accepted the truth. A politician will almost never keep his word.
5: Oh, and it frees me up so much. I mean, the amount of time that I have not spent listening to talk radio and...
0: And getting upset about... (laughs)
5: Right. Can you believe what so-and-so said?
0: Clinton (laughs) seems to have lied. (laughs) In other news, water is still wet.
2: (laughs) The war on women.
0: The war war on women. women. (sighs) The war on women. Yeah, it's. Boy, just, I see some of those female fetuses being dropped alive out of the Planned Parenthood vids. Anyway, it's another story.
5: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I could get mad about that stuff, but I, it was just sucking up so much of my life when I was getting mad about it that I just, it was, I just, I just had to give it up i mean it was almost cold turkey with politics mm. and i still have people all around me talking about politics all the time especially right now and the headphones oh, yeah. on my head just keep getting bigger and bigger right. and more and more noise isolating because I, I just it's just so obnoxious listening to people and i i i get i can totally see your point because i like i'm I'm get, I am getting mad at the inevitable. Of course, of course they're not going to come out and tell me everything that would shake their own foundation.
0: Right. 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 I mean, Starbucks isn't going to hand you leaflets about don't drink too much coffee or this this latte has like 4,000 calories or whatever, right?
3: Yeah,
5: Yeah, it's, uh, it does make a lot of sense. And I mean, I'm still, I think more like I have, I, to be honest, like since in the, in the last while, I'm, I'm looking more at this, uh, situation with, uh, with my wife and how she is how she's coping with this, and...
0: No, no, I'm sorry. i got to stay away from your wife for a second. Sure, I sure. I say that a lot these days. No, but I have to stay away from your <laughs> wife because this is... right. The anger is... The, the, the you and the church thing, right? The anger that becomes chronic is the literal how could they.
5: Yeah.
0: And the antidote to the how could they is, well, how couldn't they? How could they do otherwise? How yeah. could there be an institution called Mormonism, who focused the way that Chris Hitchens focused on the beginnings of Mormonism, on Joseph Smith, on as you say, the, the teenage brides. I mean, how, like, if they focused on that, how could there be? One. They, 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 it only exists because they don't. I mean, it's not how could they? How could, why wouldn't they? they? They couldn't do anything else.
2: Yeah.
0: There was no when, possibility when they, of them doing anything else.
5: And when they see that long look in your face, like they did with me, they – are they going go to go – They're happy. Are they going to go to the parents? When you,
0: when you finally break a horse, you're happy. It's a lot of work to break a horse. But the horse isn't worth much until you do. You know, you get a wild horse. It's jumping all over the place. It doesn't take a bridle. It doesn't take a saddle. It doesn't take stirrups. It's, it's crazy, undomesticated. Well, when you break that horse and you, right?
5: It doesn't uh-huh. look at anti anti horse websites.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's when the horse becomes oh good they're broken. You know, like, should I get angry at the public school teachers for not celebrating my individuality and asking me what I was really interested in and recognizing and respecting my intelligence? And No. That's the point. It's like the horse saying, I can't believe the guy who was trained to broke me actually broke me.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's his job.
0: How could he? How couldn't he? That's what he does. How could he not? There's no other possibility. It doesn't mean don't be angry or anything like that, but it takes the the horror and the urgency out of it. Because anger should want to change something. And anger fuels itself when you think something could have been different. I am not angry at my mother. Given the choices that my mother made, well, the life she had plus the choices that she made. There is no possibility it could have been different between us. There's no possibility she could have been a different person. You know, like if, if I had a cousin who smoked like a chimney for 40 years, there's no possibility he's going to win the Boston Marathon. I'm not going to be enraged because he won't run. He can't. It wasn't deterministic because he chose to smoke, but anger is supposed to give you the energy to change something. It's called fight or flight, right? But when you get looped into an anger towards something that can't possibly change, in particular the past, the past can't change by definition, right? You can change your perspective of it, but you can no more change the past then you can travel through time. And so once you get that your anger, that, that what you're angry about couldn't have been any other way, your anger sinks back down and waits for something that could, it can actually make a difference about.
5: Uh, And I I see how this connects with so many other things that I've kind of like just finally set aside. Like what you're saying like makes perfect sense.
0: I'm so angry that the Democrats did this, the Republicans did that. But you can't change it. (laughs) You know, with the the death of reason thing, I want people to even stop getting angry at people who don't listen to reason. The choice to not listen to reason or the result of not listening to reason, of rejecting reason and evidence, is the result of so much trauma and so many bad decisions and perhaps even some genetic susceptibility that you, you know, trying to reason with people is like trying to talk them into changing their genders. And I don't mean like through medicine and hormones, I mean like just magic, magically. Different. Yeah can't do it
5: oh yeah and 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 uh you know when i'm when i'm talking to people that i do like as as you know co-workers or uh you know or you know people in my community i'm you know they they want to find out why i don't believe and i'm just like i i don't i don't want to i don't want to argue with you i don't want to tell you why i don't believe I don't think that anything is going to come of it. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into proselyting anymore. I mean, not in that sense. I mean, now when it is something that I can change that, uh, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Cause I see where this fits and I, I'm going into analysis mode, but From a feeling standpoint, that's what made a difference to me. It is it is having someone finally explain what real ethics are. And being able to – it was like this missing puzzle piece – that i i've just been looking for forever and i fit it right into it, everywhere where it was missing and it was it was very empowering and it did allow me to oh man when i realized that i could just not think about politics anymore you know and it's not like I don't you know fear the results of everyone else thinking about politics but there's not a damn thing I can do about it I mean I can I can talk to people when they're open but I can't what the what the hell am I gonna do about the Federal Reserve what the hell am I gonna do about monetary crises, that stuff was very powerful to me. It just like released me from this burden like so quickly. The thing that was really funny in all this is that I, as I was, I've been doing a lot of this as I've been going through therapy. I've been going back and watching movies that I used to be really interested in, but like, you know, watched multiple times. go back and I'll watch them and discover why I was so, like, subconsciously interested in those shows. It's a really valuable exercise. And um, I remember watching, you know, these kind of disaster-type shows, the Mad Maxes and the the walking deads and you know all that sort of stuff. And all throughout those the funny thing is that for 10 years since right around you know age 30 this stuff started to crack for me but I just couldn't let stuff go. But I remember watching these shows and just like oh yeah I wouldn't believe after that. <laughs> just like this little tiny thought that would pop out. I wouldn't. I would totally not believe in God if that happened. And <laughs> and it, it happens so often. It happened like almost every movie I'd watch. Or I'm a re, you know a real sci-fi fan and you know comic book net and all that stuff from when I was growing up. And for me, like you know th- this happens so often. After a while, I'm just like, I I go back and I look at all those times when I thought that on this movie or that movie or whatever. And it's like, yeah, your, your subconscious knew about this shit before you did. And maybe that's, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's, sorry, I'm just more analysis. like, But, uh, That feeling, that that empowering feeling when I go back and I you know, I'm doing this exercise, going through these old movies and all that stuff, and just this this powerful feeling that I that I don't have to I don't have to worry about whatever was happening in those I mean People always like tried to get me into some TV series, and I, I could not watch it. I tried to watch The Office a thousand times. I could not watch it. I couldn't watch Everybody Loves Raymond. I've never been able to watch that show.
0: That was a depressing show.
5: Oh, good heavens.
0: Trapped in hell.
5: Yeah. And... You know, and you see, like, you see the inevitable, you see these characters walking right into what you know is going to happen now. And you're just like, no, don't say, oh, no, shit, don't say that. And so I'm I'm seeing this all over my life. I'm just going back and looking at all these little events, these little turning points, these little, I mean, that stuff can drive you crazy, I know. but, But they were questions that I had at the time, and I wasn't, I didn't know how to solve whatever those those things were asking you know were kind of like uh, bringing up in my mind to solve I mean some of this stuff happens so rapidly for me I, I remember talking to an atheist friend of mine who you know I used to tell him faith stories bear my testimony as they say in the Mormon church And I look back on him now and I just see how absurd the things that I was saying to him were. And, how, and how, how I would take those things if someone were saying them to me now. But as I was talking to him, as I was you know, really starting to crack on the, the politics stuff, was, I remember telling him, uh, you know, that uh, this stuff is like a, this stuff is like a damn breaking for me. I don't know where this is going. This is before I've lost my faith. This is before, you know, this is before a lot of stuff in the last, you know, two, three years. This is before addressing the problems in my family. This is before a lot of things. And I'm like, I don't know where this damn breaking is going to lead me, but... (laughs) But it's happening,
0: right? I just wanted to uh, mention that this. I, I wanted to remind people that sort of my earlier argument was not determinism, right? Because right? I said repeatedly, like, because uh, I know people are gonna kind uh, of get mad at your parents because you know, right? You know, they they couldn't do any different. No, I always said, well you know, with my mother, based upon the childhood she had and the choices that she made.
5: Correct, yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: And the choices that she made. I didn't just say based upon the childhood to the edge. You can get, oh, there's nothing wrong. I've been angry at my mother. I. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's healthy. But one, once you're in a situation where you can't do anything more about something, anger becomes self-destructive. Yeah. You know, once you are in a situation which your will cannot affect anymore. Anger becomes self-destructive. And so while I was angry, I still had hope. Because my anger was trying to get something done, get something changed. I'm angry so I can change something. Now, when you accept that change is not going to happen, you lose your anger and you lose your hope. And anger is often a way of holding on to hope long past reason and evidence Yeah, has disproven its value.
5: Oh, yeah. My, my wife, I told her about how I don't believe in faith. Like, to me, like, faith Faith has become, like, the opposite of a virtue now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I am it's so... conformity to madness.
5: Yeah. And, and, she, and she said, well, don't you have faith in people? I said, hell no, I don't. I have, I have, I mean, I didn't say it like that to her because I understand what she was trying to say, so I didn't say that to her. I said, no, I don't. I have, I have the evidence that they have given me. I have trust in people. You know that that recognition alone was that was very empowering because I had so long I had held withheld I had had held out for for people to change without the evidence that they ever will and being able to just sit let that go. let it go, that they they aren't going to change.
0: Yeah. And so anger can be a way of um, imagining that there's change when there there can't be change. And um, it it is when when you accept, right, what, what you can't change, as the old saying goes, you accept that you can't change something that's the way to be free of both anger and that's the plus and the pain is being free or letting go of hope. Uh, when, when When I accepted in my life that there were relationships that I simply had no effect upon, people didn't listen, they didn't change, they didn't grow, they just were impervious to anything that I could bring to the table and also that they viewed me in a certain way that I couldn't affect without like It didn't matter what I did. Just, I could not change the way that they viewed me. And it's uh, when people won't reform their view of you. If people view you, I don't know, as a loser or something like that. If people won't, won't change their view of you, well, you're trapped in that view. We, we have social selves as well as individual selves. And we are social animals. And The opinions of those around us matter enormously. Enormously. And uh, when I wanted to do something different with my life, but everyone thought I was still the same person, that created a growing tension, and I was hoping you know people would recognize I've changed, I'm different, I'm grown. They wouldn't. Just kept wanting to put me back in the same old box. It's like, well, sorry, I can't. I can't change the way they view me. I give up anger, and I give up hope at the same time. And you accept. You accept. And acceptance frees you from anger, and that's why I was talking about. There was no possibility of it having been different, and there's no possibility that your anger will change how it is now. So save your anger for something you can change. So, I hope that helps. Listen, I got to um, wind the show down. Enjoyable chat though it's been. Uh, I really do appreciate and you. I, um, I thank uh, you so much for calling stuff. in about this. Oh, you're welcome. You're absolutely I really welcome. Feel free to call back in any time. I mean, uh, I, w- I want to say one
5: real quick thing. Sure. There is something I will be eternally angry for, and that is that when I went to go buy my first album in uh, at a record store when I was a kid, I was pressured into getting Nirvana instead of inu- instead of innuendo.
0: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ignore that you said innuendo came out when you were a kid. Actually, it's <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah, it came out when I was in college.
2: Yeah,
5: it did come when out.
0: I was in—I I, I was at uh, McGill, I think. When it came out? Was yeah, it, McGill. Yeah, that was—I. I, yeah, it was. It was not a bad album. I think there's some there's some decent songs. The middle part of the innuendo song is great. Um, Delilah is a pretty fun song, and uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good album for sure, and uh, I appreciate that. Although I did suddenly feel a mortality flash, but that's okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to get people to respect reality. <laughs> Before half a century <laughs> yeah. that's coming up so all right well th- listen scott thanks again for your call uh, feel free to call back in anytime and uh, i appreciate your sharing I-, I really do i know you get pretty analytical that's your thing man that's fine and uh, i hope you'll listen back to this and uh, um uh, get get more out of it the second time around so thanks mil everyone so much have yourselves a wonderful wonderful evening freedomainradio.com for donations freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out. We do need you, of course. You know, Canada's in recession, and um, uh, America, of course, is continuing to grind along, and Europe is being buried under a tide of migrants, so it is not now the time to give up on philosophy. It is the time to redouble our efforts. So whatever you can spare, we need so much. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful night. We'll talk to you soon.